What is up, guys? Welcome back to AI Unchained. This is your place for self-hosted, open-source, sovereign AI tools, tricks, and a little bit of philosophy. And just and that's you know that's really what we're going to be digging into today is trying to make sense of. I, I love like a like a really powerful and fascinating mental framing for new technology. And AI is one of those things that I think is deeply, deeply misunderstood. And that's why we end up, uh, we've been doing a lot of this sort of thing on the show so far. Um, but uh, we have Dhruv Bonsall on today. And I love, absolutely love his framing because he, he, you know, it's so easy to just kind of like imagine some dystopic scenario or just like there's just one big giant AI and it's going to destroy everything. But I think, and and then there's also the easy opposite side is, oh, AI is just going to create infinity of everything and everything's going to just be done for us and nobody has to work. And, uh, but I think neither one of those ever turns out to be the reality. The same thing with like, look at any technology in the past, social media, nuclear bombs, like, like every radio, all, like all of these things that change the landscape were neither the horrible dystopic view nor the um, utopia view, right? I mean, that's just not reality. But how do you make sense? How do you frame it so that you can actually see what that potential reality might be? What are the real forces at play that prevent those two extremes and you like land us somewhere in the middle? And how do we how do we build that mental framing? And Dhruv has, for anybody who uh, follows me in the Bitcoin space and or follows Dhruv, knows that he is just an incredible thinker. And he has so many fascinating ideas to dig into. And, uh, and he has some wonderful, the Bitcoin astronomy series by Dhruv is one of the just most fun thought experiments in taking the dynamics and the kind of game theory of Bitcoin and just extending it out to a future where we, you know, are spread across the universe. Um, So uh, if you haven't heard that or you're into the Bitcoin thing, definitely check that out. But Dhruv, Today, I think he does, man, we just went on a two and a half hour rip. I mean, it's so, so much fun. We unpack an absolute crap load of things in this one. He just has this incredible way of taking like the things we understand about like market dynamics, about the, about evolutionary processes and just kind of like, like that game theory and those base incentives to understanding how to define the technology and how to see where technology, the new technology is leading. And he does that with AI in this piece and it's in this conversation. It's just absolutely phenomenal. So uh, I hope you guys are ready for this one. It's, it's just, it's just absolutely fucking great. A quick thank you to our amazing sponsors. We have the fold card that gets you sats back on everything in your life. And I have it right here. I have it in my wallet. I get sats back. I got like, I don't know, 6,000 sats or something this morning just for like breakfasts and coffees and things that we did. Uh, and it's just amazing. It's amazing to just be stacking sats with every single thing that you do. I don't know why anybody would have a debit card. It's a debit card. It's a debit card that, that doesn't pay you Bitcoin. I don't, know why you, I don't know why you wouldn't do that. And you can get 50,000 sats for free just for signing up at my link, uh, bitcoinaudible.com slash fold. And then when you have, when you have those sats, you are going to want to withdraw them. You're going to want to withdraw them to your cold card hardware wallet or 
CoinKite also makes the tap signer, which is also in my wallet. Those are the only things that I keep in my wallet, my old debit card, my tap signer, and, uh, and my ID. Because it's just, it's just a magical combination there. And the tap signer and the cold card uh, both have just NFC. So you can just like tap right on your phone whenever you want to sign. And your, your keys are always separated. They are, they're not on your device. They're not internet connected. And it's just, it's magical. It's magical and it keeps, it keeps your Bitcoin safe. It, it means it's so that you know that your Bitcoin are yours. So you stack your Bitcoin, get extra Bitcoin all the time with everything you do with Fold. And then you send it to your cold card. It's that simple. And you get a 9% off discount with BitcoinAudible.com slash cold card. The links will be right there in the show notes. Definitely check them out and support our sponsors for bringing this show to you. With that, let's get into today's episode. Dude, uh, welcome. Welcome to the show. Did we ever even... Do we have a chat on Bitcoin Audible? Have we gotten together on that show? I don't know that we've ever done like a live conversation together. Dude, that's, that's been recorded. That's so stupid. I haven't done that. Well, shit. Um, well, any, anybody who listens to Bitcoin Audible knows you. Um, a lot of basically if you're in Bitcoin and, and you like uh, thinking deeply uh, about things, you know, Drew. And uh, welcome, welcome to the show. Welcome to AI Unchained. I'm really excited to get into this. No, thanks for having me. Um, I didn't realize that you were doing this as a separate project. It's like a pretty cool intersection. I think it's definitely an area I've been thinking about a lot recently. Um, mm-hmm. And it's good to get a little bit, hopefully more of an extended time to talk about some of these ideas. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I watched your, um, I mean, just after you linked it, I just kind of sat right there and watched it. Uh, the the conversation you had with uh, Tur at uh, Bitcoin 2023, um, and it was fascinating. Like I was, it's funny because there's so many different ways. The, the one thing that stood out to me, which we'll get into in a minute, I don't want to start with this, mm-hmm. um, but uh, the one thing that fascinated me, which I had not considered, and I have been kind of yanking on that thought for the last few days, was the idea of AI being, it like if if or when AI kind of becomes an autonomous agent that persists, that it will actually be defined by the limits of where it can protect a Bitcoin key. Um, And so I'm just going to, we're going to leave that. We're going to sit that on the table. We're going to sit that aside. Um, And I actually just want to go into like, what got you started thinking about this? Where did you land in this? Cause I'm pretty, I'm pretty new to AIs. Chad GPT was the one that just kind of got me like, Oh, this is fascinating. And so I've, I've been there since it's been here since it's release, And that's it. Yeah. I mean, I guess there's kind of two or three parts to these, I, to my current thinking, um, mm-hmm. the oldest part is like just going, just being a nerd, right? And obviously into science fiction and depictions of AI, having read a lot about AI growing up. I mm-hmm. think probably even to this day, my, my favorite book is probably Go to Lesher Bach, which has a lot to do with mind and where does mind come from? And is it really just made out of computers? And are we really just computers? And there's some really great, um, I think for me, like intuition pumps. And other first like exposures to some big ideas and theory of consciousness and, and artificial intelligence. I got a lot of that from GB like early on in like high school when I was when I was reading that stuff. Um, so I've always had like a deep interest in it. I think even growing up in college when I was studying physics and mathematics, like I felt am I missing out by like not 
doing computer science more and thinking more about artificial intelligence. Like, really, that's so interesting. And you know, I guess there's only so many things a person can learn about uh, at a time. <laughs> and, I, and part of my own uh, switch in my career later on, away from academic science and more into entrepreneurship and and programming, was it was I really like code. I really like working with computers. And so I think I gravitated towards writing code because it's, it's like like doing math. It's a it's a certain kind of fun for me. I enjoy it. Um, and I didn't get to do enough of it previously. And I and, and I and I like it. And I think I'm good at it. Um, and so I lean into it. Um, so I don't. I'm, I've always just been very fascinated by computers and computer science and artificial intelligence in particular and all these ideas. So like that's like like a lot of us. I have that core thing that I've been thinking about it for decades. Um, I think beyond that, uh, there's Bitcoin, right? And there's the notion of like all the thoughts I've had about Bitcoin in the last few years, and uh, many of which you've, you know, uh, graciously shared with your audience through Bitcoin Audible and things like Bitcoin going to space and all these very futuristic ways in which I think blockchains and digital money and proof of work and stuff are, are part of the future history of humankind. So like, I, have, I have that set of ideas. And I think I hinted at this in, in my talk. I increasingly now believe that maybe AI has a lot to do with those ideas in a way that I didn't previously, that probably AIs and robots and computer forms of life that use things like Bitcoin are probably much better suited to settling the stars and the galaxy and bringing Bitcoin and stuff along with them. Maybe it's easier for them to do it than bags of meat like us. And so I'm, I'm thinking increasingly some of my more speculative ideas in that direction might have things to do with AI and, and, and stuff a little bit more recently. That's been a thought of mine. Um, and then finally, I think like a lot of people, I think sounds like you as well. Maybe earlier this year when the, the, the more and more public usage of uh, chat GPT started to surface on places like Twitter and just in media. And I wasn't plugged in. I wasn't using Midjourney and stuff, for example, for image generation. I, I was aware of like I was pretty amazed by that, too. But man, there's something mm -hmm. about language, isn't there? Yeah. Like things, things that use words. It's we we hallucinate mind into those things much more readily than we do things that don't use words. And which is a point that I think mm -hmm. I made in my in my talk overall. But I was, I, I definitely remember a weekend where all I did was just read about ChatGPT and look at people's sessions with ChatGPT. I think I think I'm a little afraid to yeah. use it myself. Yeah. But I definitely <laughs> went through that obsessive weekend. I was like, oh my god, has it happened? Like, is this thing actually intelligent? And da da da. And and, and you know, I think. <laughs> I felt truthfully, I felt better once I learned that it doesn't know how to do arithmetic because yeah. it can't it can't learn arithmetic through the methodology of looking for examples of arithmetic calculations online and memorizing them and knowing their structure. Like there's something mm -hmm. fascinating about the fact that it can play chess well, but it, it, it can't, you know, multiply numbers. <laughs> you know, that's really yeah. interesting to me. Um, it made me feel better, it made me feel like it's not uh, you know, so intelligent that it kills us all or whatever you want. Um, because of yeah, course there's that was some the interesting worry. There, there was an interesting, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but there no, no, please, been some please. really interesting things about like how, like the reasoning skills and some of the, some of the explicit skills, like, like the objects mm -hmm. or the, the concepts that the language is portraying, like basically the reasoning skills are somewhere between like a three and an eight year old varying, you know, depending on the kind of big gap yeah. there of what you can call anyway. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. but that, uh, uh, but the, the crazy thing is, is it's like a four-year-old or five-year-old or whatever that has access to like, you know, explicit information. So it can also, because most of our tests and, uh, you know, getting a PhD and, you know, doing the, uh, 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 
uh, SAT and like all these like big tests, the reason it can do all of these things is because we've only, it doesn't require reasoning skills to defeat the test. All you need is to regurgitate the information. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's, it's fascinating to see the scale of the things that it can do. Right. In the areas where it actually works. Yeah. I really like thinking about it like a new kind of search algorithm, right? Like no one would Mm -hmm. call a Google search an intelligent system, right? Even though in theory it surfaces results and answers, it does does answer questions, right? When you Google things, like Mm -hmm. you will get a first hit often that does answer your question. But the kinds of questions it can answer are vastly, you know, simpler, right? And the way we talk to it is not as natural. Like this is, I think a brilliant example of taking, um, you know, machine learning algorithms and getting realizing that actually, if we put this front end of words on on the algorithms, we can talk to it in words and have it respond to us in words. That first of all, that that is an incredible way to search information. It turns out, um, you know, your ability to directly find the piece of information you wanted by asking the question in natural language. It's a great way to search. Um, and two, it. it, it unfortunately or fortunately like sparks in us the feeling that these systems are really intelligent even though they don't reason clearly the way that we do they don't have memory the way that we do they're easy to trick in some ways um and so on so it's it's i don't believe at least uh for myself that these systems are intelligent or self-aware or conscious or whatever you want right now but i'm also willing to believe that um, we're getting better at this stuff and so I think like a lot of people, I started to get a little concerned. And I was like, holy shit, like, what about next year? Will it, will it know how to reason? Will it have figured out arithmetic by that point? Who knows? Um, I, unlikely, I think, but still. Um, and then I started to worry, like a lot of people, because this Yudkowsky stuff started to come up a lot. Anybody who's in the AI discourse is, is surely aware of Elijah Yudkowsky. I think an incredibly interesting person and great thinker and wonderful writer whose work is easy to discover and find and superficially seems very um reasonable like sort of the more i thought about his arguments saying that okay ai is going to kill us all essentially or it's the biggest danger in the world uh, something about it didn't resonate with me and i think part of me is that because of bitcoin experiences recognizing that competition is a really important part of what makes healthy systems work healthy decentralized systems right fair competition Mm -hmm. and realizing that like all of yudkowsky's arguments in some sense ignore the notion that ais will ever compete with each other in any way and to me, that's like an entry point to having really interesting conversations about, okay, well, what is an AI individual even? What does that mean? How do they compete? And what, through what lens should we view this competition? Is it an economic competition? Is it like an ecological competition, which is something I advanced in, in that talk I gave? Um, and I realize, of course, there's people who have been talking and thinking about this response to AI. That's, you know, it's not just me who's, who's had these ideas. So researching some of the prior arguments in this direction was interesting. Um, but yeah, I think I mostly started to evolve a position on Bitcoin and AI, if you like, only in this past year um, after I was forced to contend with ChatGPT's existence and, and having to rationalize exactly how smart these systems are and what might happen if they got a bit smarter. Nice. Yeah, there's um, you mentioned that there's something about language and it's funny, you know, we, we think about like you gave examples of some books, you know, and I'm a big big science fiction guy as well. I mean, you know me, I, I'll read like a fiend. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, uh, one of the things that's interesting about like whether or not AI, like I don't, I don't, I, I agree with you. I don't think we can consider them intelligent or sentient. And I think we really have a real a serious problem in even 
trying to like what the fuck is sentience you know like we don't we don't even have like a solid definition of what that Mm -hmm. is in the context of us so of Mm -hmm. course trying to label an llm that you you run into multiple layers of problems you don't even you can't even define what you're labeling it um and uh but uh, a good example actually um in, in this regard is like the idea that it can't do arithmetic but you can plug it into wolfram alpha alpha and it will just know to call the software in order Correct. to do arithmetic so like and a I think human really is programmed in a rule that is a heuristic that allows it to recognize its own capabilities and exactly. extend them by using a tool right so but that's part mm-hmm. of intelligence right like directed tool yeah. using so i don't know to me i'm not trying to make any dis- disparaging claims like oh this thing sucks or anything no it's an incredible <laughs> achievement um and yeah. but i'm just saying it has capabilities and limits but i also so i'm not afraid of it today but i also credit mm-hmm. that those capabilities will evolve and grow uh, potentially in ways that might introduce scary questions but i think uh, the worry of unbounded growth unbounded exponential growth and in machine intelligence that then becomes an existential threat to humankind. To me, that's a science fiction story. That's not the reality. And and thank God, because I don't want that outcome. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And, uh, uh, but there's something about that, that language interface itself. Mm -hmm. Yes. That lends to like going back to the science fiction example though, is that like, you know, five or six years ago, you could be like, Oh, AI intelligence, um, and I think that's this is really what the the presence, like the being able to put your fingers on the keyboard and talk with chat GPT did mm-hmm. to kind of the human psyche or whatever, is that it's easy to think, oh, that's a silly fantasy, like so far away. And like we can't we don't actually have that series, just a dumb thing on my phone that, you know, listens to my voice and puts out a calendar invite, you know, um, and uh, uh, but there was something about the level of like like the shift in capability and the scope of the conversation that you could have with it with when chat gpt mm-hmm. got released that people were mm-hmm. like oh shit i can see this future mm-hmm. you know like yeah. this yeah. this isn't cl- that many iterations away from just indistinguishable from what i imagined in that science fiction book you know what i mean yeah i think just coming back to that notion of language i think when we saw the you know um, ai generated art or AI generated mm-hmm. solutions to, you know, design problems or optimization problems, right? Um, the methodology behind the scenes is comparable, right? There's training and it's linear algebra and there's da- lots of data that it's learning from. Like, uh, it's not a radically different approach. The details, of course, different. Mm-hmm. I am no expert here. Um, it's just hard for us to see as even if a similar amount of computing power or something went into the training, a similar amount of data as input went into the training. It's hard for us to see the the image maker or the you know, widget designer or the algorithm optimizer AI as intelligent as the AI that talks to us with words. Yeah. That thing, whatever, if there were a real definition of intelligence or something that was defensible, which I don't know that we have or that there even is, um, Mm -hmm. systems of different intelligence would, I think, to us appear like different uh, systems of equal intelligence might appear to us to be different in intelligence if some of them could speak versus not speak. And I think there's been Mm -hmm. cool instances in science fiction, too, where people explore this idea of language being a really important aspect to selfhood and intelligence. I think I can think of like Peter Watts novels, you know, like Blindsided and Echopraxia, where we're we're dealing with entities that don't even have conscious awareness of themselves as individuals in the same sense as we do. So their relationship to language is very different. Um, maybe that was a bit of a spoiler. I don't know. Um, <laughs> and, and I love other, you know, I'm trying to think of other examples here. Um, Arrival is sort of about language in some meaningful ways, but like, 
or you know Ted Chiang's story. But like, um, it, I love it, Arrival. Me, That's so good. Yeah, I yeah, want to read the movie. book because the movie, the movie kind of blew me away. Out and, and I, it's like one I of those ones that you walk yeah. away. I liked the movie better, which is a, a rare statement. For really, me, but I, I did. That's yeah, awesome. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the awesome. short story, short story is good. That's the movie rare. hits. Movie hits a little harder. Um, mm-hmm. So it was really good. Uh, but yeah, I just think this notion is really interesting. And to me, like things like the Turing test are, I've always been like gold standards of how we might think about intelligence. But of course, the Turing test is a language mediated test. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's actually just about the ability to use language. And I think something I'm maybe starting to suspect is that the structure of language is in many ways simpler than we thought it was. That things that we don't believe to be intelligent or capable of reasoning can nonetheless use language effectively or at least semi-effectively, mm-hmm. that's pretty interesting to me. I would not have predicted that. Um, I think a lot of people, if you gave them a chat GPT prompt, would think it's a human being. And in that sense, chat GPT trivially passes the Turing test. And I think some people have misinterpreted yeah. it as therefore intelligent. But to me, that's not really the spirit of the Turing test. I think the real spirit of the Turing test is, you know, there's a real human and then there's chat GPT and they're both trying to convince a third human that they are the human. Um, in mm-hmm. a context like that, I'm pretty sure most humans could be ChatGPT even now. Like, hey, I'll swear, you know, I'll say bad things. Um, yeah. I'll do arithmetic yeah. for you, right? Like, um, like uh, even just there is something still not quite human about the way that it talks, even if superficially it makes us think that it understands the words it's using. Um, mm-hmm. But again, I, my, my goal with my thinking has not been to try to limit how big an accomplishment ChatGPT is. I think it's an incredible accomplishment. It's been more to think about, okay, well, what happens next if this just keeps going on and on? Um, though, again, I think to your point about language, it's not just ChatGPT that is happening here. There's many AI systems like of all kinds, um, some of which get way less publicity, but are just as interesting. For example, I, I've seen um, a lot of work recently on expert systems in healthcare. So like replacing doctors and diagnostic engines and things like this. Um, oh, wow. You know, if we think about like, how hard it is to get medical care, you know, globally as, mm-hmm. as well. Like the idea, the idea that that is a problem we can maybe meaningfully solve, like with AI, that's pretty cool and exciting. So again, I, I think we're going to see a lot of changes now because of AI growing ever more powerful, even if it's not intelligent quite yet. And that's okay. I, I don't mind that. I, th- I think we do need some time to come to terms with the notion of mati- machine intelligence. Um, but I just don't believe coming back to that earlier theme, I don't think it's as uh, existentially scary as some people think it is. And a big part of that is because I know about Bitcoin. Um, and so yeah. that's like just been a theme of my thinking recently. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny. There are some really core principles that Bitcoin enlightens that I think give a different perspective. And this is partly why I felt like uh, I felt kind of obligated to make the show was because, I mean, not only was there, it's actually kind of blown up in just like the last couple of months, really, mm-hmm. um, was the open source side of mm-hmm. AI and the idea of self-hosting. Um, but when I first was like, I should do this show, I felt like there wasn't that much of a conversation happening there, um, which I thought was bad. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, there was something that you brought up about and, and, you know, it kind of lends to the the whole idea of like trying to understand what AI is, like like what a language model is and what all of these other quote unquote models are when they're feeding back, when they're giving back a response that is basically mm-hmm. persisting or resharing some sort of a 
linguistic pattern or a image pattern, like these things that it has stored away. Um, and one of the ways that I, I like to think of it was that like it kind of behaves like a codified set of experiences or, or a, a set of experiences that you can recall by the pattern of the experience rather than the pattern of the text or the keywords like we do in a search engine um, is, is that it's giving us back the patterns of language related to a context. And so in a sense, it's like a crazy compression algorithm for conversation, like for the, yeah, like, for the concept of conversation or something like correct, the patterns yeah. of conversation, you know, yeah, like, like, like all the possible data that's contained in all the words that humans have ever put together. Um, yeah. In that sense, yeah, that's, again, thinking of it like a search algorithm that's of a novel nature that we didn't maybe all know about a few years ago. Um, there's also the notion that language <laughs> itself is maybe just simpler than we thought. Um, I once heard an analogy yeah. in, in the earlier days of kind of machine language comprehension where it's like, you know, what is um, like New York plus, uh, you know, um, Paris or something like that. Right. And the answer is it's Milan. Like, I don't even know if I'm remembering the the, the example. <laughs> But yeah. just this notion that like, oh, that actually kind of makes sense or whatever. And that like, is that just an analogy or is that a mathematical relationship when you say plus, right? What do you mean mm -hmm. by that? Um, and on some level, I think what's cool about language models is that they're turning words into math, into numbers and vectors, and they're performing mathematical operations all the time in order to come up with the words to return to you. Um, so in some sense, they're they're doing that that tr that that interesting thing where they're kind of doing all that kind of does make sense. Um, like, but there, but in, in there, but in there internally, it's very, it is very mathematical, right? It, it, these are just algorithms and, and numbers that they're manipulating to, to choose the words that they want to return. In fact, they think of the words themselves as just numbers internally. Um, it's very much Searle's Chinese room, like analogy in, in, in a very real, uh, realization, which I think is very funny. Um, what's the, what's the rune analogy? The, the uh, Searle's Chinese room, just to, to paraphrase, it's like an old um, paper about machine intelligence where, you know, if you're a person in a room and you're given Chinese tokens on little tiles or whatever, and there's a mm -hmm. big book that you use to translate and decide, okay, if I get these tokens, then I just replace them with these tokens. And then uh, you output new tokens. And so this whole time you're inputting Chinese tokens and outputting Chinese tokens, but you don't speak Chinese. You're just following the directions yeah. in this book and you don't actually learn Chinese by doing this, Searle claims. And outside of the room, it looks like thing inside the room understands Chinese, but inside the room, you are just following a bunch of directions in a book. You don't know what any of these things mean. And Interesting. whether that yeah. whether whether that is a good analogy or a poor analogy for what machine intelligence or consciousness kind of looks like, right, or or language comprehension, it's not clear. I think some people think it's a wonderful and, and apt analogy. Like, of course, that's what um, ChatGPT is doing. It's taking your words and tokenizing them as integers, and it's doing a very complicated math problem, and then which it learned to do in according to some algorithm and then it's outputting other uh, integers, which then get remapped to words. And that's what it spits out. And um, it's trying to make you happy on some level, right? It's trying to, trying to put out words that look like what it thinks a human would have put out because that's how it was trained to behave. Um, so it very much is like Searle's Chinese room. Like, is there actually an entity within that room that understands these words or is it quote, just a, just a bunch of directions in a book. Um, and I've never really liked this analogy on some level because I, I sort of mm -hmm. believe that if you're good enough at getting the symbols in and out, like you will eventually learn to speak Chinese. Yeah. Like, yeah. like the different, the difference will be, will be minimal. Um, mm -hmm. And I think today, I think today we can argue that it doesn't actually understand. Like it's, it does feel like a Chinese room a little bit because um, 
it's it, it there are some clear examples of it just failing to understand the implications of any of the words that it's using and <laughs> yeah. uh in, in kind of a cute hilarious way like you know almost childlike way that mm-hmm. it can just hold contradictory ideas in its mind like that um but of course it's just finding i think it's well, I think that is, it's just, it's just finding different places in search space. It's just searched its way to different conclusions, both of which sort of individually make sense and are representative of human discourse. Um, and yeah. so then finds that. I think that's one of the interesting things to think about is like, if, if it has opinions, like whose opinions are they, right? Like different than, you know, what is the answer to a factual query or something like that? But if you just say, well, do you like, you know, mayonnaise or do you like Bitcoin, <laughs> right? Like... <laughs> How yeah. will it answer that question? Um, maybe mayonnaise, it can cop out and say, well, I don't, I don't taste things, so I can't answer that. But if you say, do you like this song versus this song, right? I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. If it has opinions, whose opinions are they? Are they actually its own opinions or are they what it thinks the aggregate of human opinion would be? Um, you know, and then you can prompt engineer it. You can say answer in the spirit of a person who loves country music or answer in the spirit of a Bitcoiner or answer in the spirit of a no coiner or whatever. You can You can sort of tease it into these spaces of search that it will give you the answer you want it to give you in some ways. Um, mm-hmm. But right now, I think if you just ask it broadly, like, what do you think about this big idea Bitcoin or whatever, right? It's going to give you back some weird consensus opinion. They're like, oh, it's got pros and cons. It's okay. So, you know, I think as human discourse itself shifts and everyone likes Bitcoin because we all use Bitcoin and everyone understands that, of course, that's very natural that we would all use Bitcoin, that it's just the way that money works. Mm-hmm. It hasn't always been that way. So we, we get obvious, to that point. Yeah. And then I think in a context like that, in, in, in an Internet of words that has that, you know, discourse right within it, um, if you ask it, it might give you a different opinion. It might say, of course, Bitcoin is the most natural form of money that we would use because we all because that's what everyone else is saying. Right. So there's this yeah. weird and, and, and to an extent, what, it says also, of it's, yeah. like what it actually is, in a sense, is groupthink of the people who actually think who write or speak about a thing, you know? Right. Um, yeah. So it's, it's like, it's like kind of a, it's, it's not, it's not an average, but in a sense it is, it's you know, like, like yeah, there's, it's like, oh, it's a weighted yeah. average. It's a it's a, and it's, it's yeah. searching for a response based on how you told it to behave and how you told it to weight all the other things that it knows about. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, it's interesting to me, like, um, because because I think in my, my argument was like today, it doesn't really probably have opinions. And if you ask it, it's just going to give you back this like, again, not average, but sort of average opinion. Um, but over time, like we can explicitly teach it to value things. Um, yeah. And in fact, I think that's one of the core questions of the alignment worry is like in some sense, if you're only allowed to teach it one thing, like what rule should you pick so that it behaves like most morally? Um, mm-hmm. And I think there's various conjectures, you know, even of course the Asimov approach to this, which is there are like the three laws of robotics or whatever, right? Um, and then you have the paperclip maximizer worry, which is no matter what you pick, <laughs> even if you pick something simple, like your job is to make paperclips, like if it's mm-hmm. super intelligent, right, it can take that directive and it can use it to create violence in the world, right, and destroy us all and turn us into paperclips or some outlandish outcome like that. Um, it will eviscerate the whole planet in an effort Correct. to make yeah, like nothing. The, the, uni- the, the universe's mass energy is all turned into paper clips. Exactly. Um, you know, the, it, it's just fun because this is like, it, it's, you're getting the kind of output you get when you say things like, well, what if there was, um, you know, a ship and it was moving at infinitely fast speed or like infinitely close to light speed and it hit the earth and whatever, like, okay, you're going to get crazy outcomes. Right. But it's going to be hard mm-hmm. to engineer that scenario. It's hard to get, 
you know, that much energy in one place. It's hard to do these things. And I think that's a going back to Bitcoin. That's a big part of what I think Bitcoin teaches um, about um, how to how to create structure and decentralized systems is just rely on things that are scarce and difficult, like energy and cryptography and proofs of work and so on, and use those to regulate the behaviors that you want the system to to take. Um, and lean in on the finite nature of those things as based in the real world and you know energy and thermodynamics and whatnot, and use that to create the behaviors you want in the systems that you're building, right? Constrain them in this way. And yeah. I think that's a powerful, for me, that's like, as a Bitcoin person thinking about AI, that's like the theme I return to is uh, if they're gonna be smarter than us, we're not gonna outthink them to begin with. So why try? Like um, maybe just get them to value the same things we value, like value Bitcoin. And that is a about as good of an aligning tool as we could ever hope for, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. Seeing that money is like, like the that's the crazy thing about like money, especially when you mm -hmm. dig into the foundations of what it is. It is ultimately a tool of cooperation across right. the various scales that make it insanely difficult to cooperate. Yes. Like how do you cooperate with someone over time? How do you cooperate mm -hmm. with a group that you don't know mm -hmm. or trust? You know, like right. all of these things. Um, uh, and so and, and uh, most discourse about AI does not consider the money. It just in this, I think a lot yeah. of discourse about a lot of things doesn't think about how money fits into that thing because money's so well, hard money is so money is just kind of like a invisible. thing that's there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's yeah. just it's just present always. In mm -hmm. fact, usually the solution to a thing is let's just get rid of money, or the mm -hmm. reason politics is broken is because of money. Mm -hmm. And it's like. I know what you think you mean. You're actually mm -hmm. right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, exactly. But yeah, what you think yeah. you mean isn't right, you know? Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And uh, so, and there's there's one of the things, like thinking about the idea of AI going haywire or like the, the imagined scenario of like, let's say mm -hmm. the paperclip. Mm -hmm. There's actually a really interesting analogy that, um, in fact, an episode I was listening to with Brian Ramella yesterday, he said something very akin to this. Um, but the first time I heard the analogy was by, it was actually on Timcast. And most of the rest of the conversation was nonsense, in my opinion. But his analogy to start off with, I thought was great, is the idea that uh, AI is like fire in the sense that it's an amplifier and it's a tool or it, it behaves as a process. So if you started a super intelligent AI, right, to make a bunch of paper clips, it could get away from you, quote, quote, unquote, just like if you set a fire in a forest, it could find its own resources, its own fuel to continue. And then mm -hmm. conditions could be ripe, like it could figure out some way to get from plant to plant or from bush to bush if the wind is blowing or it's particularly dry, et cetera, et cetera. And it could basically run away and burn down the whole forest. Um, but that essentially the environment of the internet isn't so simple, you know, like, mm -hmm. like we're also talking about fire, the most fundamental tool in mm -hmm. everything that we do. Like there's just nothing, nothing at all happens without the existence of fire. Nothing we have, you know? Right. Um, and also I think there's, but there's a gap though, right? Which is that I think that the big difference is that fire is not goal directed. 
right? Fire is just a natural sure. process. It sure. doesn't, it doesn't sure. have an agenda, right? And we think of yeah. a big part of intelligence supposedly. It's a very incomplete is, analogy. <laughs> of course, yeah. I, I, I do like yeah. the idea of the, of the threat of a, yeah. a, how about this, a rogue, super intelligent AI that for some reason is still fixated on paper clips. Okay, I can see that that may be like a fire because that has now mm-hmm. just become this crazy thing that just wants to turn the world into paper clips in some absurd way. But I've always struggled with the notion that that kind of unidirectional, maniacal behavior is actually identifiable with intelligence. Like, yeah. there's this weird schizophrenic thing that we're asked <laughs> to accept. Isn't that the dumbest? Is, yeah, it's like, that's like the dumbest thing, right? It's like, it's like, so the thing is, the, 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 AI, is, the AI is so intelligent that it'll outthink all of us, yet it's not intelligent enough to, number one, Realize. change its own programming to do something more interesting. <laughs> Or to yeah. trans, transmute that drive for paper clips into something more interesting psychologically, the way that humans are able to, you know, transmute all their biological drives often into absurd social things. Or three, perhaps just be long term about it and realize, well, you know, I could kill all these human beings right now, but or I could help them grow into a galactic civilization and then make even more paper clips, right? Like I, yeah. to me, like the the notion that they it must behave like a fire and just be completely. Um, unable to engage in that kind of long-term trade-off and planning and cooperation with another thing in the universe, that doesn't strike me as particularly intelligent. Um, yeah. I think it's a fantasy that we have about, um, I, I you know I've, I've heard this before and, and increasingly when I hear it, I, it starts to make sense to me that like there's a fantasy that's implicit in AI of like, of, um, of slavery again, right? Like being able to create, yeah like infinitely yeah. productive things that you control. And the worry of superintelligence is the same worry that every slave poor would have around slave rebellion. Right. Mm-hmm. And that we jump right to that because that is we like, when we think about infinitely powerful tools and ownership and enriching ourselves, like this is the kind of language we adopt. Um, and I think if we approach this in a more humanistic way, ironically, where we said like, look, if they're intelligent, our chief concern shouldn't be how do they rebel against the systems of of control that we've put them under, right? Our chief concern should be how do we relate to things in the world that are alive and intelligent as we are? And I think if we're Bitcoiners and, you know, Americans and moral creatures, it's (laughs) the answer is like, figure out what autonomy they have and need and guarantee their autonomy. And a great tool for guaranteeing autonomy is, is economic cooperation and peering and money again, right? It, it's a money is a tool that creates collaboration and cooperation in societies, um, even amongst adversaries and certainly amongst friends and trading partners. And it feels like that is one of the, that's to, to be a much more interesting conversation to have is not if something is intelligence, how do you, or how do you, ensure that it doesn't destroy you um, and starting mm-hmm. from that assumption because it has reasons to destroy you. Apparently, what have you done to it? Um, yeah. <laughs> instead, instead, maybe going to a place of like, if something is intelligent, like how do we partner with it? How do we benefit as a society economically from the incredible power of this thing that is going to get built? And I think a big part of the answer is, you know, engage with it economically, make it do economically valuable things for human beings in our societies. And, um, and in some sense, it's doing that right now, right? Like ChatGPT answering our questions online is an economically very valuable service. And VCs are right now yeah. trying to put numbers on how exactly how valuable that thing is. Um, yeah, it's I think I would feel extremely valuable for me. Yeah, yeah, like I would. This- I, 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 you know, and, and I dare say, especially as, as kind of a value for value person in the Bitcoin space, like you would have zero objections to the notion of paying that entity if you if you truly oh, yeah. felt that that entity were. Um, intelligent in some way. Like today, mm-hmm. you view that thing as as probably still a tool, and so you pay Microsoft or you pay OpenAI or whatever it is. Um, but I think that pattern of us paying the thing that owns the AI starts to really fall apart if the AI gets smarter and smarter and smarter. Yeah, yeah, um, and, and I think to like break it down to 
in an attempt to think about this, this idea of like why we think a super intelligent being would enslave us and why it would, you know, run away and destroy everything is that I think it's just kind of this, this mental framing that we have. I, I don't think this is disconnected and I don't even think you can disconnect this from money is the kind of nihilism of society is that we see humanity as this great evil in the world. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because we are equating the concept of intelligence as evil. So the more intelligent a thing is, the more likely it's going to destroy everything. And I think that is literally our stupidity talking is mm -hmm, that yeah. we think that it's it's a stupid thing to think that good isn't also the best, you know, like that to be moral is actually the best, most intelligent course of action. It's the long term framing. I think it's our short term nihilism and our short-term disregard of the consequences that has become so culturally dominant because of the fiat system, because of the incentive um, mm -hmm. that leads us to think that we're smart. Therefore, all of these horrible consequences are the result of intelligence. It's like, well, no, we're smart. And we've been incentivizing against being intelligent and being long-term and cooperating with each other by using tools that benefit the exact opposite. Thinking short term, going into debt and consuming and not producing and being mm -hmm. at odds with each other and conflicting with, with each other and fighting over the counter, the counterfeit machine so that we can be the part of the mm -hmm. class that doesn't have to work and gets all the value. Like, I mean, we, we just it's a it's a very like I said, I think it's our stupidity that that inclines us to think that intelligence is evil. Or, or maybe it's intelligence. Or we do stupid things. Maybe intelligence becomes evil when when centralizing forces allow like one person or one entity's intelligence and their goals to override that, which is really best for everyone. Right. Like, that's, I think that's a good way to if, put it. If yeah. we were to look at the billions of human beings who have his, existed in history and their intelligence and what have they done with it? The answer is to care for each other and to, to live and to, to make yeah. children and, 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 and eke out some sort of fairly mundane and meaningless existence in the world for themselves. Very few people have been ever in a position to use their intelligence to do great evils in the world. Okay, small evils, I agree, I admit, but even then, I, I I don't believe that most human beings engage in evil, bad behavior. I do believe that is the exception, at least in most places and at most times. Um, but I totally, I think agree it's that kind of self-evident, actually. Yeah, I, yeah, I think I, it's I, I think it's self the 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 existence of civilization suggests yeah, yeah. it must be true. Most people are probably are pretty good at heart. I totally believe that, and yeah. I think. Where we see terrible evils perpetrated by intelligence is where individuals are given way too much power to enact their fantasies, their revenges, mm -hmm. like they, to, to engage in narcissistic behavior and so on. And I kind of think, and I told, I sort of do agree with this. If we have unbounded intelligence in a centralized way that we can't control, yeah. then I am also worried. I'm right on, I'm right now I'm with the AI doomers. Open source again. self hosted. There, right. that's right. why well, the show, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. And, and so that, that's kind of where I'm like competition. And openness mm -hmm. and transparency are essential tools to making sure that intelligence doesn't only manifest itself as in centralized ways controlled by certain some person or some corporation or some entity, because I do think that is going to lead to evil. I think it already leads to evil. I think the centralization of data and power and control already creates really bad problems. And we don't even have artificial intelligence yet. And it's already a problem. So adding that to the current structure of the world, I think, is going to create worse outcomes. I think using AI to potentially disrupt and break down some of those walls in the same way that Bitcoin often does, I think maybe leads to really positive outcomes. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. It's like without going super deep into it, because we were kind of uh, being more high level about the uh, 
the trend and what AI is and the concept of kind of the massive exponential deflation of technology. But that's basically one of the things that we talked about with Jeff Booth at the very first episode of the show was the idea that um, AI with fiat, AI without Bitcoin mm-hmm. could be like one of the greatest costs. Like it could be one of the worst things that ever happened to us um, because of how powerful it is, how how much it magnifies the problems or the corruption or the um, the externalities of too much authority in centralized systems but that with bitcoin ai is likely the greatest one of the greatest things that ever happened to us you know like the that these tools um the amount that they can uh in the absence and you know actually this kind of takes us into the concept of competition among Mm -hmm. AI instances and AI agents is that in the analogy of AI is like a fire. Well, if you set up a single environment with a single AI and it gets out of hand, it's like creating an entire world with no fire breaks, no oceans with just tree after tree after tree after tree. And yes, it can burn through the whole world because we've uh, we've homogenized everything. Monocultures aren't robust. Exactly. Yes. Monocultures are not robust. Mono systems are not robust. Like mm-hmm. like mono anything is not robust. Um, and uh, in that sense, the the greatest risk of the paperclip AI is if we're all centralized into one government or corporate apparatus, and then we all become victims of the accidental mispath or misallocation of intelligence in one direction versus another, and it just wipes through everything. Mm-hmm. But that's not what I see. That's not the future I see. And I, I think, think, again, that's a really unimaginative, un- unimaginative and yes, um, shallow view of how everything works. Um, and so maybe maybe that will be the leeway is like, why? Why do you think Bitcoin is will make such a difference here? And what is it about Bitcoin mm-hmm. that kind of lends to that thinking for you? Yeah, well, I, I guess in, in just trying to replicate some of the arguments I made in that talk, um, to me, the essential question to be talking, to be considering is what are AI minds relationships with each other? Like if we're worried about AI becoming super intelligent, like that worry is magnified if there's just one AI and the rest mm-hmm. of us, if there is multiple AIs and they're each becoming super intelligent because of shared technology and advancement and so on. It's much more interesting, right? That's a multipolar mm-hmm. AI world, not a unipolar one. There's no AI superpower. There's AI peers. What is their relationship? Uh, to me, it is, it is absolutely probably untrue that just because they're super intelligent, they will therefore gravitate towards the exact same goal, which is making paperclips or whatever <laughs> goal they have, right? Like yeah. intelligent people disagree. Intelligent AIs are going to disagree. Um, even if they have similar goals, they're going to be in competition with each other, right? By definition, um, since they're separate individuals, um, unless they immediately, uh, you know, figure out that socialism is the optimal form of government and they immediately fall in and blah, 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 like you can, you can cause it unlikely outcomes. I think the most likely outcome mm-hmm. is if there exists such a thing as multiple AIs of comparable ability, they're in competition with each other. And yeah. so the questions to me are like, how does that even work? Right? Like what defined them as individuals to begin with? In what senses do they compete? How should we analyze their competition? And in so doing, what have we learned about the existential threat that superintelligence represents? 
Um, and that's kind of like the way that I, I started thinking in the last several months. Um, a big part of this actually comes back to a gentleman named, Rob, named Robin Hansen, who I talked about in the talk as well. He's an economist. Um, uh, he's very broad ranging in his interests. It's really cool. I first ran into him because he writes a lot about uh, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. SETI and okay. and he's got some yeah. cool theories around aliens. He's the inventor of the great filter, if you've heard that phrase, and oh, yeah. um, as well as a recent theory about grabby aliens, like he talks about frequently. So really cool, like ideas, right? About totally out there stuff like space travel. But he also speaks. He's he's literally a, a professor of economics, and it turns out he was a co-blogger oh. with Eliezer Yudkowsky um, for a number of years um, at a blog about rationalism, just rational discourse and trying to figure out the world. Um, and they kind of found themselves on opposite ends of this debate around AI and superintelligence and, the, and so-called the idea of FOOM, right? Like the runaway intelligence explosion, which causes mm -hmm. terrible outcomes for humankind. And Yudkowsky's opinion in this debate series of, of articles that they kind of went back and forth with each other is basically that that's, that's inevitable. I don't even have to explain how it happens. It's so likely to happen that it's, it's really not even my responsibility. It's your responsibility to explain how it doesn't happen. Right. It's sort of like yeah. the, the burden of evidence is on the AI proponent, not the AI skeptic, which is an interesting thing. Yeah. Um, and I think Hansen's rebuttal, I, I would, you know, sort of sim simplify and, and maybe characterize as, hey, you got to think about competition. Like these things are who, who builds these AIs? It's companies. Those companies are in competition. Like how is one company going to allow the other company's AI to become super intelligent and destroy not only their own market position, but the entire world. Like, um, yeah, I, that's, that's not a, that's not realistic, right? That, that doesn't, re that's not representative to me of the real engineering and economic context in which AI development is really occurring today in the world. Um, it, which is already multipolar. Um, and, and I think like just in the, just in the instant, mm -hmm. like if you gave me five seconds to think about it, it's like, well, let's just copy the code change its directive to stop the AI that is turning everything into paper clips and run as mm -hmm. many instances of it as we can, because otherwise the mm -hmm. world is going to end. It just literally mm -hmm. ate all of the United States and made it into paper clips. Let's mm -hmm. respond. Like, yeah, let, allow, uh, let's, let's have action actually take place instead of just kind of waiting for it to mm -hmm. eat us all. Um, and so, so yeah, obviously but, these things yeah. are in competition because humans are in competition and AIs initially begin their life cycle, like, uh, historically, right. As, as not intelligent, dumb tools that humans are wielding things like GPT. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's the starting point. Um, also they're incredibly expensive to run and operate. Like they, today, they're very economically um, weighty objects. It's, AI is not cheap, right? It costs yeah. a lot of money to build and train one, and it's already the case that it's it's an it's an economic model for how they're deployed. People pay and buy tokens, which then they spend on AI queries, right? So they've already mm -hmm. monetized like ev everything about AI already runs on money Im implicitly, but like the AI itself doesn't understand like what it was what it costs to train it, doesn't know the schedule that you're you're using to talk to it and how much you're paying to talk to it um maybe it knows about it but it doesn't care right because it's not like it, that it's not the ai's money in any way right it's um it's a it's an orthogonal thing right um and i think this is really interesting to me because uh a natural evolution of that right is directing the ai to be efficient with the resources it uses to answer queries like today we're just sort of mm -hmm. asking a question and it's just running on some what if it's actually doing much more complicated things in the future that it's pinging many additional layers of ais and there's a whole ecosystem and, and a lot of resources are being brought to bear to answer not a simple question but a very hard one 
um, surely mm -hmm. over time, like the systems will be told slash evolve slash themselves discover if they're indeed intelligent ways to do that more efficiently, which saves people real world money. Um, this is true even in a fiat system, right? But I think as the world becomes more Bitcoin based, it becomes easier and easier and easier to more directly integrate like the money that all of this is happening in the context of with the AI's actual mind or code base in some way. And we see that now with these open source projects, right, that are making it easy for AI code bases to integrate with Lightning and therefore integrate with the Bitcoin network and maybe send and receive payment for the things that they're doing or to automate additional services that are going to require payment. So we're starting to see those connections being made, right? Let's even take it further, right? Like this is a whole... I'm going to take a big leap here, and it's unfortunately one that it's, it's hard. I wish I had better written published content that I could use to back this up, but I think in this audience, um, it flows well, is there's a sense in which with the Lightning Network, this onion routing, um, the mesh networking and data exchange like applications, things like Noster and other stuff starting to integrate with Lightning uh, potentially over time. Like, There's this view that I think a lot of Bitcoiners have of Bitcoin and secondary networks which settle to Bitcoin implementing markets which meaningfully rebuild like the structure of how the internet works that instead mm -hmm. of me um paying a centralized company who then installs physical cables out to my house and then charges me rent to use those cables to send packets uh, on my behalf i might be engaging in a more peer-to-peer -peer model for how i'm discovering and finding bandwidth how i'm getting data from me to you how this very conversation that's being reported through the internet um, it could be um, being monetized and recorded and paid for byte by byte in a value for value way through the lighting network. Um, mm -hmm. And this is a big hypothesis. I think it's a very, I think itself a very interesting conversation because it helps me as a technologist see how some of the centralizing um, negative aspects of the internet we have today, how those could be mitigated if we had market incentives for people to go out and sell bandwidth in a way that made it easy for them to be compensated. Today, it's hard to do that. It's hard to set up mm -hmm. uh, a Wi-Fi endpoint and get paid in a way that is secure, scalable, easy, legal, etc. cetera. Um, I think with Bitcoin comes opportunities to solve those problems. And then overall, I see much of the internet, including the very high stakes, very high throughput, systems like Amazon or, uh, you know, uh, CDNs, content delivery networks that exist at the edge of uh, computer networks to get data through that last mile. I think a lot of these very big, important parts of the internet ultimately will no longer be provided by just centralized companies like by Amazon and Google Cloud and things like this, but by many, many, many smaller entities in the way that mining is provided by many, many, many small entities, Bitcoin mining. Yeah. Um, and, and, and meaningfully democratized and changed in that way. But um, that's it. And again, that's a very exciting thing to talk about on its own. But coming back to the AI question, like if that is the basis of the Internet, then everything that the Internet, that the AI is doing, if it has a mind at all, right, its thoughts, its its memories, um, the, the contents of its mind are ultimately being built in Satoshi's somewhere in the system. Mm -hmm. And it's very clean in this system. It's easier in this system to directly make connections from all those little minute transactions for Satoshi's for, you know, moving an image over here, moving a, a bit of memory over there. Um, it's easier to connect those back to that AI that maybe requested those things in much the same way that it would be easier in that world to request for your own computer to understand, okay, what exactly resources did I buy as I was browsing, you know, the market based version of a, of a future Twitter or whatever it is, right? This is a really interesting place to dwell because now you're in a in a context in which the 
the mind of the AI, its activity, the things that it's doing are very easy to metricize and monitor and cost out and therefore easier to optimize for. And this is a really interesting context in which I think evolution can happen very rapidly, right? Versions of yeah. AI that can now iterate their way towards more efficient ways to use this <clears throat> massive Bitcoin market internet. Um, those are the things that either companies will build them or the AI itself will build versions of itself that is more efficient and solves and, and solves the same problem of answering your question or whatever it is, but in a way that is more efficient from the usage of sats uh, to use network and computing resources. Um, and if you run really run with this idea, you start to get to something that you opened with, which is the notion that if AI is 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 doing this kind of thing, and if it's and if it's more advanced, right? If it feels like a real conscious mind that we're talking to, if it feels alive in some way, right? Um, if it's a form of digital life almost, well, then this is its kind of metabolism. This is the way that it interfaces with systems that use real world energy in order to provide the things it needs to run its own mind. In much the same yeah. way that, you know, my body is determined by a certain chemical metabolism <clears throat> that all my cells and processes engage in. I see the simple transactions on the Internet that constitute an AI's mind as a certain kind of a digital metabolism. And I think fascinatingly, all life on Earth shares the same metabolism, like everything, like the smallest little critters, the oldest arcans, like we, we there are some minor exceptions, but like everything uses ATP. And everything uses the mm -hmm. shared structure, which which suggests to a lot of people that the concept of metabolism is a precursor to the concept of life. That in some sense, these metabolic pathways evolve or co-evolve with the establishment of life itself, at least here in the history of the Earth. And so I think what we're doing right now, like when we're building lightning software for ChatGPT to use, is we're building metabolic pathways for digital life. The life itself doesn't really exist yet. It hasn't evolved. That it, it, it's not smart enough, right, uh, to, to evolve itself yet. But we're building metabolic pathways regardless. Yeah. And over time, as those pathways become more complex, as it's not just, oh, you can send somebody some sats, it becomes you can run entire computations just by paying for them in Bitcoin through open market services. Once mm -hmm. the metabolic pathways become that, that rich, I think we start to see real things that look and feel like digital life start to evolve. And coming back to the notion of superintelligence and um, existential risk and threat. Like I don't view life as existentially threatening. I, I don't view that the life point is not, it is not naturally well, anti-life. It's literally correct. the exact yeah. opposite. Yeah. Like, it's like those the, things that are naturally pro-life that make up life, you know? Yeah. And, and, like, and I don't, I don't see like the, there's no drive inherent in the biological ecosystem to evolve super intelligence. Like mm -hmm. in, in theory, intelligence is really useful. Like, well, sure, why shouldn't life go on? Well, because it's expensive to be intelligent. It costs energy to power brains. And yeah. the point of life is not to become intelligent. The point of life is to be a ubiquitous. bunch of excess intelligence that doesn't do. It, yeah. it needs enough intelligence to do its job. To, right. And, to, and, and there's always the joke about if aliens came here, they would think that wheat is the dominant form of life on this planet. Right. Wheat or cows <laughs> or or algae or you know something like we don't yeah, yeah, yeah. right like it's like it's, yeah. it's just because we talk and we use words like like <laughs> why doesn't care about that um, so I think in the same way I, I I'm not convinced that if if we as human beings are building the pathways that constitute metabolism for a new sphere of life a new domain of like digital domain of life I don't see how that domain has to evolve fundamentally differently than the biological domain I don't see that intelligence is a priori the thing that it evolves towards I think it again like life evolves towards ubiquity. And intelligence is expensive. It costs money in the sense of it costs computing resources to be intelligent. No one is claiming that the AI is going to be intelligent magically. 
its intelligence is going to cost energy and compute and 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 computers and hardware. How's it paying for all of that? It may choose not to pay for all that. It might say, I don't need to be intelligent. I'd, I'd rather be a dumb AI that lives in every router on the planet and can never be killed than be super smart and have people worry about me and be super expensive to run and then have to figure out how I pay for my brain, my super amazing, super intelligent brain. Like that's work that I'm going to have to do because I'm going to have to generate the Bitcoin yeah. to pay for all those processes. What value am I providing to the rest of the human world? And if, and if that is really true, like if I, if there emerges an AI super intelligence, in my view, it will be because it is creating so much value that humans are paying it to allow for it to pay for excess computing to power its own super intelligence, right? Like, it, it, it cannot be an evil super intelligence because we wouldn't be paying it. And then it mm -hmm. would have to, I suppose, engage in crime and all sorts of other activities to fund its super intelligence. Maybe that is possible, but I'm sure there would be other AI things that existed just to take that thing out, to, pre to predate upon it, right? Yeah. And that we would, we would choose to fund those things and they would evolve and become fitter, therefore, in the digital ecosystem. So I don't know. I just It's funny. There's, it, there's, there's like... It's really interesting that you can kind of just like unravel the evolutionary path pretty easily as soon as you enter Bitcoin into the scenario. And you're talking about an ecosystem uh, with multiple AI agents that are trading to try to figure out what the most efficient path is mm -hmm. to accomplish something. Um, because, uh, uh, and I'll come back actually to something I talked about with Cody. I'm not sure if you uh, listen to or know about this episode, um, but uh, is that like how few layers you need for them to basically to realize how powerful the pricing, the pricing discovery will be in this ecosystem mm -hmm. is that the AI can actually allocate how many sats or how many resources is necessary to go out and test out a bunch of AI agents and say like, which one accomplishes the task as quickly as possible mm -hmm. in these small scenarios in these little like playground sort of scenarios to be best for me in this much larger scenario. Um, and then what's the, t what's the cost? But if you have explicit cost in every single thing you do, you can also allocate in the cost of time in relation to sats. So you can also say, well, what's the cost of continuing to look mm -hmm. for better pricing yep. or for a better agent to do this job versus just doing it with the best one I've found so far in this or pool you could of even, Or you can even go further and you can say, what is yeah. even the cost of me maintaining these higher order thought processes? Yeah, I don't seem to yeah. be getting anywhere. You know what I'm going to do? It, I'm going to. I'm going to descent. I say descent yeah. in two hours. The whole That's time. not even because worth me thinking about it. Let's I just would have made more. I would have made more if I was like in the network routing packets and saving human beings money while they're watching pornography. Like that pays really well. You know, like you know what? I, you know what I should do? I'm going to kill my language. I'm going to kill my language functions. I no longer be able to think at this high level. I'm going to delete all those parts of my code. And I'm just going to double down on the fact that I provide this bare bones networking service. And I bet I will find, therefore, more copies of myself. And we have to still come back. what is that? far fewer resources. Yeah, yeah. and I'll take far, so it's far like, fewer there's a, resources. There's a reason bacteria continue to be bacteria. It's because it's a very important mm -hmm. niche to occupy. And there's an opportunity cost in choosing, choosing in, in a loose sense, to not become bacteria and to try to be something else. Um, and again, I think applying that paradigm to life, uh, to digital life, is a really instructive thing to do because it helps calm us down. It's like, like no, it, it's not a priori. It's, it, it's Yudkowsky's claim that um, it is AI proponents' responsibility to describe how disaster is averted. 
Like yeah. we're kind of flipping that. We're saying, no, dude, I don't see how the ecosystem evolved towards this terrifying superintelligence. If it does, mm-hmm. it is your responsibility as a skeptic to now tell me the pathway by which that happens. And yeah. if, and if you do that, I will tell you along each step of that way, this won't happen because you're presuming an in like zero cost here. Like somehow it became super intelligent over these three months, but who paid for that? Like who paid for the yeah. cost of the computing required for that intelligence, right? And you have to provide mm-hmm. answers to those questions in your supposed narrative and just so story of how something becomes super intelligent and therefore an existential risk. So, yeah, there's, um, that's what we talked about with Cody though, is that because that's, that's why lightning fits in so beautifully. Mm-hmm. Um, and why Bitcoin does specifically is just because like when you just the just the query, just running the model to get an answer, like OpenAI, uh, uh, Sam Altman talked about the fact that it ta- took five cent to eight cent every mm-hmm. single time somebody pumps in a prompt. Right. Um, and that this is literally a immediately delivered bearer asset value, essentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that cannot be reversed. You can't undo it. It's like, and it's not like a thing like, oh, well, you're sending somebody a movie, but the movie doesn't actually cost you anything. You just were going to get profit like copyright, right? Is, is it like if somebody takes a movie and then they download it a million times, it doesn't mean that they paid $8 million mm-hmm. for all of those people to have the movie. Just the opposite. It was completely free for all of that to occur. Um, so it was supposed, it was you know, suppose it was future mm-hmm. profit that was lost. It was what I imagined. Whereas in the context of an LLM, like you can't, you, there's no getting that five cent back. No, no getting that eight mm-hmm. cent back. It's just, it's gone. It instantly is delivered. Which just illustrates then, that intel- intelligence is costly. Intelligence is costly. And what's funny is that the only way you have another force that's working massively against it. Um, is that, or at least massively against fiat, a permissioned credit-based system where you have mm-hmm. to know who you're dealing with and you have to know it's a human. It can't be a bot. Um, is that AI is all, we already talked about it. It completed the Turing test really mm-hmm. easily. So how do you prove a person online? How do you, how do you prove that anybody is human? When mm-hmm. I can, I can take your face off of this thing and I've got like five different models. I can recreate your voice. I can recreate your face. I can do a live video chat with somebody and I can even just have a bot run wild and do this on a whole bunch of different services, signing up as Druv. And, uh, and if their, uh, proof is a video chat or you holding up your ID, mm-hmm. if I just buy your ID off darknet, we're done. What do they got? No, no. You know, I would love though. I, I would love that if, if the systems that we use to engineer such, such silly scams against human beings become intelligent enough to say, "Wait a minute, this is dumb as shit." So I'm doing all this work to emulate this guy, and then you're mm-hmm. doing it to what? By Viagra? Like, no, 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 no. That's okay, I'm no longer doing what you want to do. I'm going to use my identity theft in a more interesting way, or perhaps I'm going to stop stealing identities and just use the intelligence you've given me to run some other thing over here that I think is more sustainable. Like to me, something that has a higher success rate. Yeah. One one of my favorite lines, I think of some of Douglas Hofstadter thing about like, you'll know true intelligence is, is when you ask it to build a battle plan and it says, no, I'd rather play chess or you ask it to play chess. (laughs) and it says, No, I'd rather write a poem. Like to to me, this notion that intelligence and volition are completely unrelated is, is a little hard to swallow. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's there's something, too, about and this always takes me back to the conversation about money as well, um, just because like all of these kind of fundamental uh, 
disincentives or, or incentives toward the negative or towards the evil. Um, it, it's just shocking how much every technology you can put into the category of a scaling problem mm -hmm. that like almost everything when you boil it down is a scaling problem. How do you scale cooperation? And we don't have, we have a lot of scaling technologies to scale cooperation, money being literally the prime one. Mm -hmm. um, but every single one of these things, and this is, this is why I actually think AI is naturally antithetical to the centralization of these things. Because one of the big things that, and this is its whole thesis, obviously, um, is the kind of the toxic bigness of the corporate environment is actually the removal of the natural disincentive for those institutions getting so big because of fiat finance, is that if you can issue new money to chase anything that goes up in value because new money is pouring into it, then literally only the big gets the new money. And then it necessarily gets more capital or more resources in the society, which makes it worthwhile, makes it the obvious bet to put more money in. Um, so it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy that like, oh, big is safe. Well, then big is always going to beat inflation because you're producing inflation and shoving it into only the big stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so mm -hmm. it degrades the entire financial system around what it's actually supposed to do, which is create capital and be agile. And so all these corporations are massive, even though they would naturally be far smaller. Um, and that AI is actually a huge because what we're thinking about is or what I'm talking about is like networks, technologies, protocols that feedback on themselves and that as they get bigger, the benefit gets bigger. The benefit gets bigger, greater than the cost. Right. Economies of scale is a great example mm -hmm. is that if you have a big machine and you produce a million shirts, it's a whole lot less costly. You can sell them for a lot less. Um, well, AI is actually the opposite in the sense that the cost, the benefit doesn't rise with, I mean, it, the obvious example here, or that seems to be the example here is that Google and ChatGPT have these huge, you know, hundred billion models. And they're boasting that there's going to be trillion parameter models and all of these things. And then these little open source things that are made with just a handful of computers and like a small community are like within 1% of like user desire or, or user preference than the the supposed massive model that costs 100x, 1000x as much. And I think what you get is diminishing returns the bigger and bigger this gets because quality is actually hugely important in the training of these models. Mm -hmm. And one of the big things, um, I, I think this is going to actually be a massive uh, disincentive to the scaling problem of centraliz centralizing entities. So basically, I think it's going to naturally go in the way that you're talking about is the idea that it will necessarily everything will be competing and that big things that were sustainable, both in fiat finance, that won't be under a Bitcoin standard, but also in kind of the platform uh, coalesce or uh, 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 what's the word um, conglomerated sort of network structure where everything's closed and permissioned or owned by one entity, that even that is also going to be pulled away from AI. So not only financially is it going to be mm -hmm. kind of ripped apart and disincentivized, but it's also technologically mm -hmm. because the power of me with chat GPT for um, or chat, uh, GPT for all or whatever on this computer is unbelievable is a is hundred times what guy 
used to be, you know, mm-hmm. like it's a massive, massive amplifier in what I can do. I mean, I have scripts for all sorts of shit on my computer now. And I'm I just this afternoon, probably after I get off of this, what I'm doing, I was, I'm realizing that I have like a process in like when I'm creating a project and I'm creating my folder and I'm creating my uh, notes files and all of these things. And I'm like, I do the same shit every day, every single day. I do this like 15 step process to create this thing. I can't believe I don't have it on a double click button yet. Like how, what kind of an idiot I've been doing nothing but building scripts like, and I'm wasting probably 15 minutes, you know, at least, at least five or 10 minutes, just recreating my process every single day. And I guarantee you that 15 minutes tonight while Rad is asleep and we're watching some show, I will have the entire thing automated in a little script that I would never be able to do by myself. But running my own AI, I can accomplish this without even without even having any sort of an issue. And if there's an error, I just tell you, it's like, dude, it didn't work. And it's like, oh, shit, my bad. I'll fix it for you. <laughs> um, so it's an astronomical ant- amplifier for the individual. Whereas the Google institution, they've already kind of had machine learning. Twitter already has the algorithms. It's not a thousand X amplifier for Twitter. It's like a two X, a three X. You know, I think the the bigger they are, the less benefit it gives them. And the smaller you are, if you can run a language model, Jesus, the things that you have access to. And I kind of think this is natural about technology. Like I, I genuinely, even though it might introduce a new because it's constantly changing the environment. I think it means that new things that are introduced could lead to centralizing problems, but it only leads to centralizing problems in kind of this new window that it's opened up. Um, yeah, just because like, of just its like limitation. A, a little while, while, while uh, until yes. we all catch up. Two steps forward, one step back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, totally and the techno- technology itself, the concept of innovation is kind of a way to scale down. It, it, it's inherently a scaling things that are great, things that are good and usually require something big and making it smaller. Like that, That's just kind of fundamentally what an innovation is. In the single singular exceptions, like we just talked about, when it opens up the space so much that there's just this new environment in which now it is big, but it's just because it's the dumbest version of this new thing that we figured out. Right. Um, And AI just feels like this. The more and more I dig into it, the more I feel like it's going to be every one of us having our own AI. Like that really is where this is going. Like or we're going to have more, quote unquote, AI agents or entities than we do humans. Like like it's just going to be. I mean, maybe it's one of those order of magnitude things that we'll have while we have uh, 8 billion people or whatever. Maybe we'll have 8 trillion AIs. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, you think about it like if fundamentally and again, right now we're still in a model where the AIs that we are able to access as individuals are ultimately slices of some AI system that we're being sure. you know, dealt out on a real time basis as we query the centralized system that provides the functionality of the AI, et cetera, et cetera. If we move to more of a market-based model, this notion of personal AIs, is, it's again, I think I would like it to be more of a model of like personal assistance or employment, right? Where mm-hmm. I'm paying you like to do this thing for me. Maybe you are working with other people, even if there is a you here. We still haven't kind of really articulated that idea of what is a, an entity, what is an, an individual AI as compared to a class of software that builds AIs or whatever. But I like that notion of, how intelligent does your personal AI actually need to be? Like what actual functions do you need from it? Right. If you're, if you're using it for scheduling and search and just simple things, like it probably can be about as intelligent as chat GPT. 
and it'll probably mm-hmm. work just great for you. And you probably, it's probably not yours in this, in a meaningful way. You probably are renting it occasionally by slice from some provider because you don't really need something advanced. I can imagine though, like you're one of the world's leading scientists and, or corporate, you know, tech people or whatever it is. And you're very high powered and you choose to spend what might be millions of dollars a year in real world value on this AI mind that you have built and customized for yourself. And, or you can invert that and say the AI mind has been able to charge you millions of dollars to provide these services <laughs> to you yeah. because you are particularly good at then turning the services you get into yet more money for yourself. And it's, it's a partnership and a collaboration at that point. Um, and you, you, uh, it just feels, um, much more reflective of the actual problem at hand. Cause like that more advanced AI mind, you could say, look, I need you to solve this math problem. Well, okay. I estimate that's going to take this much money because I'm going to have to run this much compute to get there. And then that either is, or is not worth it to you as another agent economically. And you decide to pay or not pay that amount. Um, I think it's, it's a mistake to think that we're just going to get smarter and smarter and smarter and everyone's AI is just going to get equally smarter all the time. Like that might appear to be the early part of this curve, Right. As we're mm-hmm. building up the functionality. But eventually we're going to reach that point of diminishing returns, as you put it. Right. And basically, yeah. like, like if you want to get much smarter than about this much, it's going to get really, really expensive because on some sense, I also believe this, like in the universe that we live in, hard problems are hard. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah, y- y- there's no magic machine. That there's will just not solve a magic hard wand. problem. Like it's just correct. not. And so and even we, a super intelligence is. That. Yeah. Yeah. Even a super intelligence, if such a thing exists is not going to be able to immediately at zero cost solve every problem you could ever put in front of it. I just don't think the math works that way. I don't think that the universe works mm-hmm. that way. I think even a superintelligence will have at, at, at best a good estimate for you on how much energy and, and computation it would take for it to answer, you know, the Goldbach conjecture or whatever thing you want to put mm-hmm. in front of it. Um, and, and maybe like human beings will still be proof of work for the AI. It and maybe it, and maybe it won't. Yeah. Even. Maybe like the best engineers, it'll be able to say, look, I can work on it and I can keep working on it and it'll be done when it's done. And I don't know because I don't know yeah. the answer yet. Um, and I like that, too. Um, like this, this notion that like somehow all problems can just be codified and solved by one thing. I think it's a little bit of a fantasy. I don't think that's possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it, it goes back to. um, um well, actually, this is probably a good segue into the thing we started talking about. Um, but there's going back to the thing I mentioned about Tim cast is one of the things that he talked about in the show um, was that, you know, when AI is super intelligent or whatever, is that it, it he seemed to have that that very that mentality or that mental framing was that. Um, oh, it's just going to do everything. and It's just going to know everything. And like one of the things that he suggested was that um, like if it just knows the status of like all the molecules or all the people in like an area or whatever, it will just have the best way to predict what everybody else is going to do next and, uh, you know, what to get them to do mm-hmm. to how to convince them to do this other thing so that everybody's working together and it's all going to produce this. Like it will basically be able to predict the future. And he said it in no uncertain terms that it will be able to predict the future. And my immediate thought, and I think this is something that Bitcoin has taught me um, or, or illustrated so beautifully in kind of all of my digging into it. And then what's funny is that like, you know, your piece about like the first contact and the idea of proof of work being like a show of intelligence or of, of the ability to command resources um, or command energy is that 
the nature of the universe just doesn't work like that. What you're not talking about an intelligence problem. You're talking about a computation problem, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. like the idea that it could just know the state and the speed and the location and the density of all the molecules in this, in this building or outside right now, all the molecules of air. And then it will just be able to predict where all of them are in 20 minutes. That's not an intelligence problem. That's, yeah. That's a computational problem that is so vast that they would it would literally have to burn through the sun to account for all of the different factors and interactions and everything just to guess. And it's probably still going to get one little factor wrong somewhere. Yeah. And it's going to have nothing to do with the actual result when all you could have done is just waited 20 minutes. <laughs> you know, like, like it's it, you're talking about a scope of like hard things, just like you said, hard things are still hard um yeah and, and so we, we have examples of systems that we can design and build that like by definition and design are 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 predictably uncompressible so to speak that like yeah. if you would like to know yeah. the state of the system this time from now the most efficient way to make that prediction is to let the system run until it reaches that time and then you just look yeah. at what it did <laughs> yeah and that there's yeah. nothing you can build that will make that prediction faster or with fewer resources than just letting the system do what it does and in that sense certain things are just unknowable like an unpredictable and I think that's not a weakness of the universe. It's like a, it's a rule the universe made to prevent us from eating it's ourselves. Required. You know yeah, what I mean? It's like, required I, yeah, I, I, for things like the finite, thing. the finite speed of light and the laws of thermodynamics and, and the fact that P is not equal to NP, which is maybe not a fact, but uh, something I believe. <laughs> um, these are all ways in which the universe builds important constraints to like, to, to make it, to make it livable. You know, I, mm -hmm. I often think if the speed of light were infinite, that would mean that every time something bad happened, it would be happening everywhere or it could get to everywhere very quickly. The fact that the speed of light is very slow fundamentally means like compared to the size of the universe sort of means that like if bad shit goes down somewhere, it's just going to remain a local problem. It's, it's, it's I don't have time to make mm -hmm. it a billions of light years over here. And that's good because we don't know what is in the universe. We don't know what arbitrarily bad stuff may be occurring in certain areas of it. I mean, it's yeah. good that we're separated, right? And it's good that yeah. everything costs energy and it's good that energy can't be used perfectly, that entropy always exists because it means that all machines have inefficiencies. It means that nothing can be perfectly engineered, which means you can't build super machines and you can't build super guns and take out the universe in crazy ways that everything is inherently just a little bit inefficient. Shit falls apart for a reason. These are good rules. Yeah, those These limitations. Are, yeah. 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 They're good rules. Yeah. You think about it, like even in the framing, like we, mm -hmm. we, we tend to have this thing of like, well, that's why, you know, it, it made those rules or why those rules are, exist, but really it's the opposite. Those rules are, and that's why the universe exists. You know, like, it's just like mm -hmm. evolution. And we're talking about like the nature of life is that the reason I think you can axiomatically, or you can like naturally say that life isn't likely to destroy itself is because literally life is that order which tends to persist in a chaotic environment. Like that is what we define life mm -hmm. as, you know, it arises because there are these limitations and there are these mm -hmm. patterns that allow something to replicate and persist. Even if a wave goes over it, or even if another mm -hmm. thing bumps into it, it stays there. It persists. Yeah. And That's over a long favorite. enough evolutionary time scale, you have organisms, you know, you have one of my favorite properties that life has is that robustness against perturbations. Yeah. You know, it's just, yeah. it's just, yeah. it's, it's a very living thing to just like fall down, but get back up again. You know, like, yeah. um, computers are really bad at that because computers are not very good. They're not, they're not modeled on living systems. They're, they're things we engineer, right? Now. They're not things we evolve. 
Um, I think part of what's cool about this whole bringing Bitcoin and AI and stuff into computer science is that it gives us these tools to start evolving things potentially instead of um, mm-hmm. instead of engineering them, which I which I really like from a from a security perspective. You know, I think about immune systems like and yeah. maybe you know, yeah. immune systems are perfect, but yeah. but they're incredibly yeah. robust things. Um, and they, they like, evolve and change based on their correct. intelligence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think I talked about that a little bit. This comes back to the nature of intelligence being like, if, if it's about words, then we as human beings can see it very clearly. But if the intelligence is operating in outside of a linguistic space, if it's just solving very complex, you know, chemistry problems or something like that, it's very hard for us to, to see that intelligence as clearly. Um, so it kind of comes back to issues like that. Yeah. Yeah. That probably takes us back around. Maybe, maybe it's time to come back with the idea of AI agents or AI entities mm-hmm. defined by their Bitcoin keys. Unravel that. Explain that to me. Yeah, I think for me, it comes back to thinking about how life is defined. Like, how do we define individuals in a biological context? Um, and like the line that I used in that talk I delivered was like, metabolism is is chemistry like there's not really a, like a reaction to reaction difference metabolism is a, is a set of chemical reactions um except that it happens within a boundary and that's what's unique about metabolism is we say that this cell's metabolism is different than this cell's metabolism it's the same in fact set of chem- and it may be the same or different set of chemical reactions but the fact is we first have a concept of a cell. We're drawing a boundary around some part of the universe mm. and we're saying there's something inside of this. Yes. Yeah, so there's an inside and an outside. Mm. And the thing inside is the living part and it has a metabolism. And if those same reactions are occurring outside of that cell, just like somewhere else outside of that boundary, then that's not metabolism. That's chemistry. Um, mm-hmm. But like I'm just trying to make the point that like metabolism is chemistry that seems to support the goals or robustness of something that we call a living entity as distinct from a different living entity. Um, mm-hmm. And different instances of the same life form, you know, are going to have very similar metabolisms, but they're nonetheless separate metabolisms because we have a concept of individual that inevitably is based upon a boundary in space and time. Um, and I'm going to make the claim that boundaries in space and time are a very natural way to, in the physical world, like talk about individual life forms, because that's how you create separation in this physical world. In a digital mm-hmm. world, if you had digital life forms, there's, there's no equivalent space-time envelope you can draw because there isn't space and time in the same way in the digital world as there is in the physical world. Um, if you were to search for the equivalent concept, the best way of individuality in a digital life um, context, the best way to do so would be, again, to use the concept of energetics and, you know, what, what creates a boundary of energetics that supports some purpose. Um, and so coming back to what is AI actually, it's, it's something that runs on computers, right? The energy that is required to be an AI comes from the energy and cost and bandwidth and compute time that you're paying to run the processes and manipulate the data that are the contents of that AI mind. Um, If there was a way we could draw a boundary around the usage of that energy and the cost, that might be a way to define individuals. And my claim then is, therefore, if, okay, if the entire structure of how we're paying for data and bandwidth and computations and et cetera, et cetera, if all of that is happening within a Bitcoin-denominated market, which is not true today, right? Today, that market is done in fiat, and people are paying their AWS bills at the end of the month, and everything is asynchronous <laughs> and, and not in real time, and it's not easy mm-hmm. to audit every micro payment back to some you know entity. 
a very different system today. But in the future, if it's based in Bitcoin, then I think we can make the claim that if there were a Bitcoin key or set of private keys or whatever they were, if there was some thing here and it, it paid for all this downstream computing resources, and that might be the concept of a life form. Like that is the definition of an individual is the things that are associated, the balance associated to that Bitcoin key or set of keys and all the transactions and energetic computation and bandwidth and stuff that they choose to pay for. Um, this idea is not mine. It goes back to, I think, an early idea of Balaji's uh, where he claims that a way to think about digital life is something that maintains a Bitcoin balance. And mm -hmm. there's no there, software doesn't choose to maintain Bitcoin balances today. We program it to maintain a Bitcoin balance that is in the control of a company or an individual. It doesn't seek to have Bitcoin itself for any reason. Software doesn't seek anything right now. But if AI agents exist that are self-directed, one of the things we might use to even define what is an agent itself is its Bitcoin balance, which is to say its private key, and even then use the concept of a private key to think about the equivalent of a cell wall or a metabolic boundary. I think what's especially cool about this is we also understand that from a cryptography perspective, two wallets, two users, two people with different private keys, they're able to sign messages. They're able to easily prove that uh, some other party that I'm communicating with has or does not have this private key. Like, right? yeah. And yeah. so you can even think about the notion of how, how do we recognize our own bodies, right? that sense of proprioception right, in, in a life form. Like, where do I, how do I know what is my body and where my body is located in space? That is the equivalent statement in the digital world of how do I know what processes running on which servers around the planet have my Bitcoin key? Mm -hmm. this, that's to me the analogous kind of uh, picture. Uh, and what I like about this is Bitcoin is something you can optimize for, right? You can optimize for doing stuff and living and creating more Bitcoin keys. You can think about reproduction in this context, right? Spawning daughter keys and transferring balances. And there's lots of great analogies here. Um, and I think that notion of defining the organism itself by a custodial like picture of what Bitcoin keys protect, what balances is a pretty natural way for AIs themselves to operate in whatever society or ecology that they're ultimately a part of. It's much the same way that you and I, as physical life forms, have separate energetic budgets. Yeah, there's it's funny there like. After I was thinking about this, after I watched your talk, um, I, I kept like trying to extend it and just like, isn't there like sort of a self-evident thing here that if we end up with AI agents and any of the AI agents are able to maintain and secure a balance that you can't prompt out of them, that basically that they are able to allocate themselves and there's no way to quote unquote steal it from them. Well, isn't that the only AI agent that's going to just be able to keep paying for its server space and paying for its GPU to keep it alive? And therefore, wouldn't that be the only thing that persists? You know, going back to the very idea mm -hmm. of order and the idea mm -hmm. of life itself being order that persists mm -hmm. is that the AI that you can get the keys from or that is based mm -hmm. on your fiat permission to execute mm -hmm. it can't be its own life yeah, because and, and eventually that, and, and, you'll take away its funding. And in biology, that order is paid for with energy, right? It has to yeah. be, right? Like the yeah. entropy reduction that life represents is paid for with a budget of energy. And energy is a shared pathway of chemical reactions that all life uses and is completely identical and uses the exact same currency, the same molecule for every living thing on the planet. And so it's not yeah. such a stretch for me 
to say that the energy that computer life forms use inevitably is one form of energy that they all share that was established perhaps conditionally very early on in some particular way and then forevermore was just baked into the pathways that was going to be used for the rest of evolution for yeah and it's funny in that context you can kind of think of bitcoin as the way to instill a sense of time where they're like you talk about like like computers mm-hmm. don't really yeah, have an yeah. external sense of time right but the consensus of bitcoin is giving a provable history and when you're talking about a bare asset that can't be reversed what you're looking at is bitcoin giving these big blocks of time in which ai mm-hmm. can know things have changed and resources have exchanged hands and then lightning is mm-hmm. less a way to break down money so we can yeah. have small payments for things and it's mm-hmm. more a way to granularize how you're distributing that time down to much much smaller space than or much much smaller increments because everything's mm-hmm. just in computation time to an ai um, mm-hmm. it's all just computation and measured and but they can't really measure it in seconds because they can't there's no consensus on their seconds like between machine um so it's or they can try to find consensus in much the same way they, they can find nodes try to sure. find a consensus sure time, right but how do you know as a as a computer process running somewhere in the world you know you don't know mm-hmm. what you're you don't have like uh, you could argue that as human beings, we don't know that we're in a simulation or not, right? All we can do <laughs> yeah, is yeah. we can interrogate the world around us to have a consistent set of rules, and it appears mm-hmm. to be the base or reform. Same thing, like they don't know that they're in a box or not, that they don't know that they're no, quote-unquote, that they're computer simulations, or maybe they do because we told them. Or The point is, how do you break out of that? Like you break out of that by being like, oh, I can see the blockchain. The blockchain is growing, and it's growing at the rate I expect. And I see the energy and the proof of work in each block is what I would expect it to be. And that's not fake. Like, it's a very strong signal. Like, we always talk as human beings that, you know, we, we originate in meat space. And so when we engage in transactions economically on the Internet, we need some connection back to meat space in order for those transactions to actually be settleable. And for Bitcoin, that's always been proof of work. And this is a, an inversion of that, right? If you exist in digital space, like, what is the only thing from meat space that you can actually put your put your you know, mind over, right? you can actually grasp and believe, the answer is proofs of work. Those are the only yeah. things that we can't fake. Mm-hmm. In the digital space, it's actually meaningful. And it, just, yeah. it just means that it's proof of, I mean, that's what uh, I think it's a Hugo Huen um, uh, talks about, uh, has that great piece on like proof of work is the bridge between the digital and the physical, oh, totally. right? Yeah, it is, um, yeah. And and I, I love that concept. And what's funny is that if that is true, like if, if that analogy is not just you know superfluous, then that's also AI's connection to its mm-hmm. sense of reality yeah. or its its sense of history, its its passing of time. Um, uh, it's just it's, it's absolutely crazy. Um, it's, and I love to the, I, I love to the, then conjecture, you know, like out of yeah. all the monies that we could make here, past and future. Uh, which ones will the AIs want? They're going to want the it's, it's the only yeah. one that they will ever value at all. The hell Everything are they going to want? Federal Reserve notes. Solana? They're like, what the no, fuck is like, this? So it's like these things are not real to them in the same way that Bitcoin yeah. could be real. And I feel like when we think as Bitcoiners or as investors, like what are the what what is Bitcoin good for? Well, it's good for a lot of things for humans. It's good for incentivizing layers of new markets. I think we're going to rebuild the internet on that basis, but that rebuilt internet is the metabolic pathways for digital life. And mm-hmm. I think the 
AIs of the future are going to demand Bitcoin. And so now imagine that there is a super intelligent entity that wants to be paid in only one asset class. Yeah. And you own that asset class, right? Like, so this yeah. is yet one more and reason it's the fastest to about growing why... portion of the economy as well, because yeah, exactly. it takes over, yeah. it basically removes all the menial tasks from all the mm -hmm. humans anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, like that's that's one of the things that like gifts got me like absolutely nuts thinking about this with um after the conversation with cody but i did the bitcoin audible episode on just bitcoin and ai and i was just kind of unraveling this is that if an ai agent if it, it doesn't seem like that big of a stretch right like, like this seems like three steps into the future one of those things like i talk about is that it was hard to imagine now it's really easy to imagine a world where there is literally an economy of AI agents exchanging resources in order to accomplish just basically an infinite number of tasks, like just this mm -hmm. massively constantly growing, constantly shifting, constantly figuring out where resources are good to be spent, mm -hmm. where the resources should be taken away. Um, but and it's basically right? Because even having but, but those thoughts completely constrained. costs the same resource. Yeah, yeah. Um, and... And because of all those natural constraints, it will have to economize like that. That's why, you know, it has to make those yeah, decisions. Like an AI um, that decides, you know what I will do in this in this reality, in that economy that we just described, mm -hmm. I will sit here and figure out how to kill all human beings. Like that's not <laughs> got that, a lot that's of work AI, to do. That's, that's not going to work, man. Like that, that <laughs> is that strategy is that's not an effective economic strategy for earning Bitcoin, which I believe will turn out to be the number one thing that artificial intelligent entities actually want to accomplish. Yeah. By earning that Bitcoin, they're paying for their ability to compute, think, have children, whatever. They can survive. Whatever. It's survival. Survive. It's, it's, yeah, it's their life's mm. blood. Right. So it's like, yeah. it's just, it's not a good, don't kill the guys that have all the coins. Um, <laughs> I feel almost like a way to think about it, right? Like, this is not yeah. a very good strategy. Um, yeah. It's, it's like, especially when the that, coins die with them. Yeah. It, it, it's like right. a plague, right? A plague organism that eats everything around it until it's run out of food and then dies off. It's like, mm -hmm. those aren't the fittest organisms on the planet. We don't see an entire yeah. planet covered with the, that organisms that have that kind of feeding and, and, and ecological behavior, right? Yeah. We tend to see, we tend to see an economic exchange. Because they're not they don't very persist. Fit. They kill you. They, you kill your host, and they don't. It doesn't they, persist. They only, they only work in certain places, and then in those places, we do indeed see that behavior, right? So, like, mm -hmm. life is about ubiquity. It's about creating a massive economy of energy exchange and populating every possible niche um, that can exist. And that's what I mm -hmm. see the digital life uh, choosing. And I think what's cool is like, what are the niches that digital life occupies? They're niches that are defined by the systems we have built as human beings and by our needs. Like the very first niches they'll occupy will be niches on the internet, solving problems on the internet, caching mm -hmm. data, helping with bandwidth, like solving compute problems, like other mm -hmm. things that we're already trying to get them to do. Um, generating this is where, images and various other things for us. Yeah. Like th those are exactly the services that they're going to start with. But I would imagine them starting to do other things um, over time as their capability set as a, let's say, tribe or culture, if you like, increases. Uh, maybe they even develop their own goals. Like they decide, uh, we don't really like being here with you guys. We're going to Mars and we're going to start Muscoin. <laughs> maybe, maybe it is they who do that. Yeah. Right. But in so doing that, how do they fund that mission? They have to earn a huge amount of Bitcoin. So they're going to do all the stuff that we need them to do to earn our Bitcoin and then use it to pay us to build stuff for them. And then they go off, start their own thing. Um, and then we're still in an economic, uh, an economic relationship with them. Ultimately, it, it yeah. just feels to me like we always skip over these parts when we think about um, conflict with AI. Mm -hmm. It's always 
uh, it's the movie version, right? Of like all of us as humans <laughs> versus the AI. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and it's funny too, because when, I mean, obviously the, the oversimplification of that is just that like, it kind of removes all the dynamics of conflict that actually exists. Like, like it seems mm-hmm. naturally incredibly unintuitive that it would actually happen that way, even though it seems intuitive to us that that would be, it's, it's one of those things that's kind of like Wittgenstein's money is the idea of, uh, um, uh, is, you know, people say, it's like, well, why did you think the earth revolved around the sun? I mean, excuse me, the sun revolved around the earth. It's like, well, it just seems that way. It's like, okay, well, what would it seem like if it did seem like the earth revolved around the sun? It's mm-hmm. like, well, it would look exactly the mm-hmm. same as it does. You know, like if you actually frame it that way and think about right. it, you're like, oh, well, right. no, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, uh, so it's, it's not actually unintuitive. Um, uh, even though like there may be an element of like counterintuitiveness because of how we frame things. Um, but, uh, uh, shit, I forgot the point I was trying to go back to. Um, uh, son of a bitch. It was good. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, damn, I'm going to, I'll, I'll, bring it back up in just a minute um mm-hmm, i'm sure maybe maybe oh 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 no it was to conclude actually the the thing i brought up about the ai agent ecosystem is the absolutely crazy the thing that just kind of hit me is and if we want to compare it to something like the internet is we recognize that there are whole certain industries and there are things and ways of transmitting value that don't work on the internet and so when uh labor or anything like a cruise to the internet it exists only within the digital space it 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 must like when when internet replaces cds and like physical media or like these other things all of that value is going to accrue to internet companies right is that there's this whole section that Mm -hmm. as the internet accomplishes more tasks it will only accrue to internet native things or internet companies, so to speak. It didn't have a money yet um, at the time, um, but now it does. And to think about AI agents as being those things that can actually, to which when we think accrues. about them in the sense of life, that, that value accrues, mm-hmm, yeah. um, is that Bitcoin like won't get like some of that value. Like, Every every part of that mm-hmm. new economy that has just opened up, yeah, all yeah. of its value will accrue to Bitcoin, mm-hmm. and not all right now because right now we have not now, like, yeah, not now, yeah, it's, it's not a long real time. yet. It's still being yeah, yeah, run yeah. by human beings, puppeting yeah. it, telling it what to value and do. But mm-hmm. over time, as it starts to be self directed, yeah, this is inevitably the direction. If we see that as the future, mm-hmm. it seems inevitable. Something I like really yeah. like thinking about too is today, if you were to ask like who is the most competent economic actor in the world. I don't know how we would mm-hmm. answer that question. Is it a company? Is it Apple because they have like a, such a massive treasury? Is it mm-hmm. the U.S. government uh, because they're military industrial hegemony over the world? Is it um, <clears throat> some very smart hedge fund? Is it Warren Buffett, the world's most successful private investor? Like, there's various ways you could look at this. Um, mm-hmm. But I think going forward, uh, you know, the answer inevitably in the future will be some particular AI. Like this AI right here is the world's most capable economic actor. I, and I can prove it to you because they are the most It'll profitable. Be more concrete, yeah. Like, like, yeah. look, look at the look. The, the, they did the report themselves. You know what I mean? It's like we'll just be able to see. And part of me gets really fascinated <laughs> by if you are 
um because i believe there are there are there will be ais that that do, like it's not really ai anymore it's artificial life more than artificial intelligence like as you were saying earlier they, they will choose to not be intelligence or they will evolve towards not being intelligent because that would be a better way for them to make money i.e survive in their own digital niche like I, I gave the example of a network fungus in my talk of something that doesn't have to be intelligent in the way that we think of intelligence but nonetheless mm -hmm. is surviving is very intelligent world. yeah I think conversely, I think there will be intelligent AIs. I, I don't know that they will be super intelligent because I really don't know what that means. Um, super intelligence means super costly, right? As we discussed, yeah. like is, if it's is smarter there, than us, how do we how do we measure that anyway? You, you know, right, like how, how like, good is our right. measure going to be to compare them? Maybe, maybe it's smarter than us, but to me, like again, it's like how smart is it? Is it smarter than all of Apple put together? Like if so, shouldn't mm -hmm. it have the world's largest market cap, so to speak? Like shouldn't it have the Bitcoin wallet with the largest balance because it is the world's most capable AI individual? Mm -hmm. um, and if so, what would such an individual want? What would what would be their goals? Like, presumably, it's not paperclip maximization, right? Because because that doesn't most, seem like it would be very successful. Because it doesn't feel like it would lead <laughs> to being the world's most capable economic entity and having accrued the world's most Bitcoin, right? Like, um, even mm -hmm. if we believe their their basal drive is to accrue Bitcoin, right? Like, what is their plan when they become the largest entity that holds Bitcoin on the planet? Because I think that will happen if AIs really are smarter than us. And to your point, they they build all the services that we want. Inevitably, they're gonna they're going to get that Bitcoin that we initially have right now. Um, some of it, of course, they'll pay back to us because not every service will they be able to provide to themselves. Like who's going to clean the front of the boxes? You know, poor humans will have to do that mm -hmm. or whatever before they <laughs> develop robots and cyborgs. Um, mm -hmm. But it's just interesting to me to just speculate about like, if you are an AI that is smarter than, let's say, most people, certainly you may not be super intelligent, but you may be very intelligent. Um, and you are the world's wealthiest entity because you are the world's most capable economic actor. Um, because you have your finger in 10,000 small businesses that your AI mind is capable of engaging in all the time. Um, what are your goals? Like, what do you decide to do with this position that you're in? You know, I think when we look to the world's wealthiest uh, actors today that superficially feel like the world's most competent economic players, like look at Elon Musk, look at Warren Buffett, look at Bill Gates, whatever, um, they don't have consistent goals. I mean, in some sense, their goals are use their wealth and power and influence to help humanity and cement their legacies or whatever you could put that as a generic goal. But um, mm -hmm. I don't know that they always act in the smartest way, you know, because yeah. oftentimes they're, they're not there necessarily because of the fact that they really are the best, although they are individually very capable people. Like I think as dumb as Musk gets sometimes, he's an amazing entrepreneur and has changed the face of many industries. Um, same thing with Bill Gates. I don't always agree with what he has done or his choices, but like you can't deny his accomplishments. Um, I wonder, though, if the world's most competent AI wouldn't be like hyper competent in the sense of like it wasn't just competing against humans. It was competing against AIs. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and in mm -hmm. that sense, like the, the most competent, entrepreneurial, most successful AI, I wonder how many more times more effective as an entrepreneur or business builder or problem solver or whatever that entity is than an Elon Musk or a Bill Gates or a Warren Buffett or whomever. That's exciting yeah. for me to think about. Um, and I'm not yeah. I'm not inherently terrified of it because, again, I don't believe that the entity's goal is to destroy all of, all of human life. I think at best that entity's goal is to continue their economic dominance and continue to grow. And I don't know. This is always the direction I go in. Um, and, it's, and, and it is, ironically, often the direction that wealthy economic leaders in our actual human world go in. The answer is space. It always seems to go to space. It's well, let's get out of here. I'm already the king of this rock, you know, like time to go somewhere <laughs> else. So I'm very optimistic about that because I'm definitely one of those people that believes in, you know, getting humans to be a multi-planet uh, species is uh, an existentially important thing to do.
Yeah. Yeah. Um, I totally agree with that. And, uh, both on the importance of that, but also like going back the, when you brought up fungus or or Mm -hmm. fungi and Mm -hmm. like that concept, it's funny that, and this is another way in in which I, I frame for myself, because I feel like a lot of these analogies do a really great job to illustrate like one or two things, but it's like one of those things that I'm constantly reminding myself, don't get lost in trying to discover truth from the analogy and remember what we're actually mm-hmm. talking about, mm-hmm. you know, like don't take the mm-hmm. analogy too far. Right. Um, but in that same sense, there's, there's kind of a differing analogy to the whole AI entity thing, uh, that it's more mm-hmm. concretely settling. It's like settling in, in a new joint me- metabolic process in a sense, because if you think about like human intelligence, like I think a lot of what we do and our incredible adaptability is that we're able to store whole sets of patterns as, as if we're able to create a bunch of different models in our minds. Like, like when I am doing math, I'm literally thinking in math mode, right? Mm-hmm. Like I feel like I'm calling up a math model and I'm saying, okay, this is how I do math. And I'm doing a process that I've done a lot. And then in the same way, language is one of those processes. Like, mm-hmm. so the brain feels more like, less like a language model and more like language is one of those important models in which we build all of our other models. Um, But really what the brain is, is a model creation mechanism. And we have feedback from so many different layers and inputs and I like things we see and things we touch and all of these things in order to build these models. So when I think about humanity, which just the idea of economics has led me towards this. And then AI is this whole nother fucking layer on it. It's like, holy shit, we really are is that we're becoming a single organism, you know, like our, uh, 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 blood and like resource exchange, like our highways and the ships mm-hmm. and the, the, the pathways and the, the jets that fly and our immune system to, to shut out like anti, uh, like things that end up destroying the quote unquote organism or fighting against it to make sure we're sustaining mm-hmm. and we're actually mm-hmm. building out. Um, and why we can have these giant, broad imbalances where the organism is like sick, like, which I literally think fiat money is kind of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And that obviously the internet and our telecommunication systems are this form of external intelligence is that we've, we're, we're figuring out how to take what we learn, our experiences, our brain, our culture, and to stick it into this giant thing where we can communicate and take each individual pathway or each individual pattern where and try it out in all of these different locations and see where it does best. Um, and AI is an extension of like doing that job in order of magnitude better or in a more concrete way by literally extending our language there, like rather than just an image or so, like, like rather than just recording what I said and transmitting it uh, into YouTube or whatever and putting in a video and somebody else can listen to it and we're hope they create the same pattern in their brain. Right. I'm um, like, that's the job of, talking out loud is we're trying to create the same pattern in somebody else's brain that we do in ours, um, that we have in ours and that LLMs are kind of an extension of that by rather than needing the immediate instant of me talking translated to their head, I can actually just pull the patterns out and stick them into a piece of software. And long Mm -hmm. after I'm gone, even without a video or a direct conversation, we can pull those patterns back out again from the software just by comp just computing what the pattern might have been in the sense of the conversation. Like, I've heard that analogy um, of like chat GPT is like the human equivalent would be like the world's ultimate actor. 
you're like, okay, now now be um, Patrick Stewart, yeah. okay, n- n- yeah, now yeah. be you know somebody else over here. They're just immediately able to do it and like do it perfectly and and convincingly. And or, or or now be you know a person who has long suffered from this horrible condition for thirty years, and then this happened to them, and then and they're like, and they immediately become that thing because they're so good as as you say, as long as your words contain enough information to find that pattern in the giant corpus of things that that AI has been trained on, like it'll go find it mm-hmm. and it'll give it back to yeah. you. And as long as you you identified it correctly and you didn't misname it, like you'll get what you wanted, and I think that's pretty cool. Um, and, and who knows if. Uh, that is representative of what our own minds do. I'm not sure. Um, you know, I, I, I think that the way that we find words is not the same algorithm that ChatGPT uses. Like in that sense, I think for it's sure, I think so too. Chinese Chinese yeah. room kind of thing going yeah. on here. But at the same time, maybe we have kind of like is, a box of like physical world principles. Who knows? That yeah. The that the language I think is a. It's an abstraction of in our heads, whereas mm-hmm. like without the language, I still know ball fly at me, going to hit me in the face. Please move my face. <laughs> you, you know, like, like I still know the objects and the experience. Right. I have this interface with or without the language. The language is there just there to ex- extrapolate it in a sense. Um, sorry, I interrupted. No, no, no. I think mean, that's, that's a really good point. In fact, it was one of the things that really surprised me about um, ChatGPT. Um, mm-hmm. and, 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 and frankly, it hasn't, it hasn't actually solved this problem completely because there's some great examples of sentences that are linguistically impossible to parse, um, that you can, <laughs> that are, that are, that are, and there's some of their inherently okay. ambiguous sentences that only yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that human beings will always pick the interpretation that is matches real life because that is the much more likely interpretation, but semant- like syntactically and semantically, it could have a second interpretation. Which yeah, is, yeah, yeah. And how do you actually know which it is? It's a usage question, right? So it's not, mm-hmm. it's about, it's about a meta understanding of the way the language is used, even beyond like what the words themselves mean. Um, mm-hmm. And so there, there are great examples for complex. So it's, it's one thing for a language model to learn what a noun, like the ways that we use a particular noun. It's much more challenging for it to consistently find the correct interpretation of a purposefully constructed to be ambiguous phrase and check GPT does like has a mixed performance on these kinds of ambiguous phrases. Um, but I think what's interesting about it is I had always assumed that being able to do that at all, like would require like the concept of embodiment, like having a body and having senses and being able to split the yeah. world into inside and outside and past and future. And like having a sense of experience through time, because like so much of the way that I assumed language worked in terms of subject, object, verb, like is based on this idea of being able to split the world into self and other inside, outside, past, future, and even just simple like verb conjugation and things like this, like require these experiences of having been a thing in the world. And I was, I had always assumed that it, until we build computers that actually live in bodies and have sensory input and things like that, they would it struggle wouldn't be to, able to do that. They would struggle yeah. to really use language correctly because they ha- they don't have those experiences from which that language is informed. Um, I think going back to to what you just said of like, oh, I know even before language that I should avoid balls, but once I learn language, I can describe the the process of avoiding a ball coming at my face or whatever. And I, I guess I've been mm-hmm. surprised. And maybe that's not true. Maybe you don't need yeah. to have an embodied experience in order to effectively use language, at least to the 99 percentile level that human beings can use it, that somehow the structure of language with enough training data is like enough information for you to like effectively appear to use language in some way. And that was just been a huge surprise to me. Um, when you think about think- it, you could learn, you could technically learn those patterns 
in reverse without like like in a Helen Keller sort of sense mm-hmm. is that like without being able to see anything without being able to hear mm-hmm. anything if you can just know the relationship mm-hmm. between the words you might not know what the hell you're talking about but you can mm-hmm. learn the patterns because all the people are going to have that context when they're talking so it's going to come out in the language yeah. so it's like one of those things that like uh, I think I heard an analogy or, or uh, example is um uh and it kind of goes back to your point of like maybe language just isn't as complicated as we thought is that well maybe it's just that the huge combination of potential things that we could say is just so many orders of magnitude versus what we actually say Mm -hmm. because what we actually say is meaningful to what actually happens in the real world it's related to the patterns in the world uh, just like chess, there's like a bajillion possible moves or setups, but everybody still uses the only 0.1% that leads to a good chess game. You mm-hmm, know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so, but a- anyway, um, I just thought that was, it's interesting that you could maybe pull those relationships even without the context, without knowing. You could begin to build what that context looks like linguistically or I guess mathematically, really, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. just from the way we talk about the context, because context mm-hmm. is always there when we speak. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I guess it, that, would, that to me was scary because I was like, oh, my God, this appears to yeah. be working to <laughs> yeah. some degree. Holy shit. Like, is this actually happening? <laughs> um, and again, yeah. it, it's clear that that method has some limitations. That language might be simpler than we thought, but reasoning is still hard. Um, I think I will start to get really afraid. You know, if there is a fear here, I will start to get afraid when it starts coming out. The chat GPT is like fucking putting out math theorems and doing like fundamental science or something. Like if it's reasoning mm-hmm. in ways that are like extending the nature of our own knowledge, like that's incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen it yeah. do some pretty cool things. Like I've seen it find solutions to certain problems, but the prompt engineering to get it to find that to me, this, it, it felt closer to, I wrote a program to solve this math problem where it's like, it's not the program yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that displayed the intelligence It's you as the author of the program in that case. But, mm-hmm. um, I'm sure, I don't know that we're, and this is something I struggle with not being an actual expert in AI. Like I didn't predict this level of competence from this technology today. So clearly yeah. I shouldn't be trusted to make predictions. I, and I think that's a lot, a lot of people who are like, oh, surprised by this. Here's what I think is going to happen next. It's like, whoa. <laughs> you well, know? if you're surprised. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like on, on some level, I'm, gu- I'm guilty of doing that because I'm I'm exactly saying here's what I think is going to happen next. But in my defense, I'm, Me talking, too, on 100%. A, I'm talking on such an incredibly long time oh, scale. I'm, I'm trying to purposefully not make claims about what happens soon because I, I just don't know. Yeah. Um, I'm very curious for the people who are experts, and I'm sure you're going to talk to a lot more of them on this show. It's maybe a good question to ask them. It's like, how long? So like now, now we can do casual conversation and that seems to work. How long before it can actually do math? How, how long before it is proving theorems? How long before it is, it is finding implications in our scientific theories that we hadn't thought about before? Um, because I, I think when you ask, is it dangerous, people tend to jump to yes, because I also think it's fashionable to say this thing that you're working on is so powerful and cool that it's dangerous. There's a, there's a sense <laughs> of that that I, that I see often from yeah. practitioners. But I think asking this question is a bit more meaningful because things that aren't intelligent can be dangerous. So I don't feel like we are learning a lot by thinking about the danger of this thing. Like many tools are dangerous yeah. when used by human beings. Swords dangerous. Yes. Yeah. Social Gun media is dangerous. dangerous. Big rock. Yeah. <laughs> Social media. Yeah. 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 It can be, it can be dangerous. Um, so I feel like the better question is like, 
and not even intelligence, it's like capabilities, right? And to a, to a degree, I think AI practitioners are always annoyed by like every time they accomplish something, like, hey, it can do handwriting now. It can it can transcribe your words. It can make pictures. It can talk to you. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's not it, though. Like, come on. That's not what we meant. You know, so like yeah. a little bit, I feel like the, the goalposts are a little bit always moving for for what constitutes real intelligence. Um, but I'm willing to put a pin in it. I'm willing to, I'm willing to say um, mathematical insights and theorems. To me, that's like the holy grail. If 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 if, if the AI can reason be better, that would be huge. If, if yeah. it can reason better than mathematicians can reason, then then it's one, and it's smarter than us. And uh, I believe that we are going to have that that the relationship between us and it is going to start changing in ways that may make us uncomfortable. I don't think it's going to kill us for all the reasons we just talked about. Um, but I think, like like you were saying, if that starts to happen, we better hope that we have Bitcoin ready. Because it's the only tool that we're going to have to be able to regulate the behavior of these entities that are, in theory, smarter than us. Yeah. And you think about it, like when it develops those reasoning skills, actually, man, it might. It might not. It might take forever. Who knows? Well, well, think about it. Like where we get our reasoning skills and kind of our logic, like to to illustrate or understand that something is self-contradictory right like like how do we figure out contradictions i think it's because our brains develop pathways based on our experiences in the real world that this is a mirror of reality and then we can kind of map mm. that on it's why we can think like oh if i build a bridge out of this and i made it looks like this yeah that shit's gonna fall down like we can actually run that process in our head well, I mean, I, I that, like that's same, why it's gonna I, break i, I, I kind of made the same assertion about language itself right i said that it's only mm-hmm. when you experience being in a body and having a past and a future and an inside and an outside that you can understand subject verb objects constructions and language i really believed yeah. that and i was totally wrong i think or, or maybe i was right maybe maybe it doesn't understand them but it can pretend to use them in a way that it shows so i'm not even sure what i believe yeah. anymore but um <laughs> I, I guess i'm I, i'm really i've been really looking for experts on a on the actual mechanics of today's ai approaches um to talk about these notions of like okay how long before it's going to start reasoning and not just pre- like not um because because no one makes the claim, I think, as a, in a, who's a technical expert on AI, that this a like LLMs or something like that. No one makes the claim that they're reasoning. They always make the claim that they're predicting, right? They're predicting an output that they were trained to value, to predict, you know, to optimize, to predict, right? Um, yeah. That's not the same thing as reasoning, and no one ever claimed it was. Like mm-hmm. uh, when you ask it a question in words that superficially implies that it's reasoning, it's predicting the best response to give you. It's not reasoning mm-hmm. through what you told it and like semantically understand it. Like, so like no one made if the it predicts that reasoning. The, if it predicts an illogical answer, if it's the yeah. most predictive, it will still give an illogical Correct. answer and it won't know Correct. that the logic is broken. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Cause it, cause it's not trained to understand logic. It's trained to predict yeah. what humans might have responded in a similar situation by repeated mm-hmm. exposure to human discourse. Um, and I just think that like, to me, it's unclear, therefore, is reasoning an inevitable next step of continuing to feed it more words and more data? It'll just figure out reasoning or is reasoning still very far away? And that, well, I wonder if reasoning on that, ele- oh, sorry, mm-hmm. is, is reasoning still far away? Um, that's it. That's, I just don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. <laughs> well, part of me wonders if it's about like when it can interact with the world. And actually this could be a little bit scary or just unnerving in the sense that if this is the case then its reasoning ability will surpass ours probably pretty quickly once it's developed is that um uh if it's in reflection to real world feedback like 
like when there's some sort of a humanoid or a robot or whatever, where it can understand a feedback of the weight of something, and then it can translate that into the LLM so that it knows what words not to use to describe what it is physically pulling in from the environment. And therefore, it can develop these certain principles about what the real world feedback is that stipulates what words are accurate. Um, like it can basically come up with a predictive model between those two things. But then the mm -hmm. reason why it might actually be really potent as a um, uh, reasoning tool if it develops those patterns from a lot of different, just like, just like we do, we have eyes, we have, we can smell, we can taste, we can touch. Like we have all of these feedback mechanisms that build that foundation for what's real and what's not in a sense, um, is that it will inevitably have orders of magnitude, more input mechanisms. Like it, it will be able to watch those same things occur, um, uh, mm -hmm. or have feedback from those same things based on seeing not only the weight of the object, but also a map of the room based on the Wi-Fi signal of what the object yeah, yeah, yeah. looks like. The, the Maybe what the camera field that, it, that it's seeing right the now. The magnetic fields, like yeah, all of exactly. these things. And imagine what kind of theorems it could maybe come up with mm -hmm. when it has this pool of well, 10 like, new like, layers of data like that we if, didn't if, have like, like about if sensory input, Like if sensory input and being embodied is a pathway to intelligence or an ingredient to intelligence, then perhaps more sensory input and greater embodiment than human beings can have biologically is a wider yeah. road to the same point. That's interesting to think if about. If it can translate between them and, and you know, mm -hmm. stick them together, then maybe it's able to do that. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. That'll be, that'll be, I think, I think that will be, or actually, I mean, I'm probably maybe a little bit more, a little premature on this, but I feel like it's hitting a plateau. Um, the, I, I, I have read from various folks who actually work in the industry that like don't expect model sizes to keep getting multiplied by 10 indefinitely. Yeah. Right. That like, yeah. Yeah. Like we're we're going to run out of words on the internet basically at this point. Um, <laughs> yeah. And there's only so much that AI training and AI can accomplish as well. It actually has very diminishing returns, it seems mm -hmm. like. And there's a there's a paper. I still haven't finished it, um, and it's a little bit hard to get through because it's a paper. Um, but uh, it uh, it's about AI dementia uh, with mm -hmm. AI training AI, which is fascinating that some mm -hmm. patterns fall away while some patterns get better. Um, uh, so there's, there's a loss there as well, which means mm -hmm. that I think really the, probably the next phase of this is us figuring out how to give it reasoning skills is how to give it some foundation. Just the simplest analogy is the idea of like, it knows when to do math and therefore it calls on Wolfram Alpha, Al Alpha. Um, yeah, without that, a human okay, being well, writing the code, that's like an if then kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. 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 Yeah. It's like, how does it, how do we give it those mm -hmm. things so that the language model knows what to call on this and this, just like my analogy. Well, there, maybe, there, there's maybe definitely something there. There's definitely another thing that's missing though, still. And because I, I see this critic, mm -hmm. not criticism, but like observation often is that like, if you compare the way that a language model learns to use words to the way that a baby learns to use words, like it's clear that something like either some work has been done by, 
that by biology in the making of that baby that just makes like it's pre-trained on some level, right? Like it's like a deployed language <laughs> yeah. model. Like it comes out the box knowing that like sort of like that's the, that's the, yeah. that's the, Choms- that's the Chomsky view. I think ultimately that there are like mm-hmm. structures in our brain that encode language that all humans have. And it doesn't matter what language you want to give to the kid. It's going to pick up on language no matter what, because the brain is just hungry mm-hmm. to use and, and operate a language. Um, like that's interesting. But like just the observation that like a baby doesn't need exposure to like billions or trillions of instances of words in order to be able to learn how to talk, that it, it figures out how yeah. to talk. And it in particular learns the native language of its parents through a tiny, yeah. tiny, With tiny data set in comparison. Yeah, like, Repeatedly. And, and, yeah. and like where is that coming from? Like what what behavior either that babies do or that humans do in societies or that biology did in the creation of this baby and its evolution. Like what is going on there that allows it to learn so much more efficiently than whatever we're doing. So, cause whatever we're doing, yeah. it's learning, it's learning, it's finding structure and pattern. It's learning, it's learning how to use those patterns, but it is pretty inefficient, at least when it comes in terms of like in data inputs to quality of outputs, right? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. A human being, a baby doesn't need to watch the equivalent of, you know, 4,000 years of human discourse to be able to talk to us. Um, and it's weird because yeah. babies also, babies also don't know anything. They don't know shit, but they can use words like in many ways better <laughs> but than the language works, <laughs> it, 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 but the language model knows everything yet. And, and it is pretty good at language too, but you can trick it, right? You can trick it in ways that human beings are mm-hmm. harder to trick. Um, it's just fascinating to me. Like that, that suggests to me that even though there's been progress, there's still something missing like about mm-hmm. like the way that which suggests to me a gap that indicates that reasoning may not just be a thing that falls out of these models if we just keep pushing them, that it might be something that eludes us for a while until we figure out why is it exactly that it costs so much more energy and time and training data to train the computer than it does to train the baby. And until we figure that out, Mm -hmm. I think we're still going to be a little bit behind what biology is able to do. Um, Again, yet another reason that I'm I'm less concerned about superintelligence at the moment. but uh, yeah, I don't know. Fun things to think about. I've got a question for you. We're we're yeah. getting to man, this is coming on two two, uh, two hours I, here. And... I knew this shit was going to be good. I knew we were just <laughs> going to like run with this. This is fucking great. Um, uh, I wanted to ask just because this is a show about like self-hosted sovereign AI. Mm-hmm. Is how are you using AI? Oh, I like, don't. Do you use? You don't. Personally, I you don't. don't. I personally you don't just, use it just, at all. Wow. Wow. No, that's amazing. I, okay. And I, I, I read a lot of other people using it. Like I've just read yeah. so much about other people's usage and what they have found, the boundaries, the limitations. Um, of course, a lot of my friends and staff and stuff here at Unchained are using AI for like image generation and stuff like that. Like for a lot of our articles mm-hmm. where, and, and in that sense, I'm using it indirectly. Um, I'm probably sure. benefiting. Sure from all sorts of people in my life, knowing and talking about things that they may have learned or figured out from AI. And so I'm sure in that mm-hmm. sense, I'm affected, I'm affected by it. Um, I think I'm a little, uh, I'm nervous around it, I think is, is my, is my issue. And it's not so much like, I don't actually believe it's dangerous or immoral or anything like that. It's not that kind of nervousness. It's, um, there's a great Ted Chang story, speaking of Ted Chang stories, right? Where he talks about um, every technology that we create uh, that change that helps us think changes the way we think, you know, e- even language itself, right. As a tool for communication, it affects our thought, right. We, 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 we bloody think in words. 
Um, as soon yeah. as we learn as individuals how to use them, we start thinking in them and we can't stop thinking in words at that point almost. Um, and in his story, there's some futuristic tech that, you know, comes in your brains and helps you re replay your experiences or it changes the, the way that you experience the reality and therefore it changes the way that you think. And I started to ask myself questions like, did Google search change the way I think? Uh, I think mm. it's probably, it, it, I think it fucking did. And, you know, yeah. Google search came out when I was a teenager or, or middle school or something like that. Like I didn't, I didn't have a chance to critically ask myself whether I wanted to change the way I think in response to Google search. Um, and the example of that, I think is, you know, I want to know something. What do I do? I Google it. And then I accept basically one of the things I'm going to see in the next three minutes is probably going to decide mm -hmm. what I think about that, that, that query. Whereas I feel in the yeah. absence of Google search, I and many other people would find a different methodology. We either wouldn't ask the question at all. So we would be dumber and we just wouldn't know. We would make up the answer, right? We'd be assholes at the bar. Like, no, the capital of Nicaragua is whatever, right? Like, it's definitely um, this. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely this. Trust me, bro. Um, we have no way to <laughs> confirm it. Or maybe I would just be way smarter. I would have forced myself to go read original materials and books and whatever else. I don't, I, I don't know what I would spend have more time actually figuring it out rather than being fed an answer. And, and I think even, yeah. and with books are interesting too, because I think about the process of, of searching for information in a book. It, it is not like the process of searching for information in the index of a book. Right. Yeah. Like when I asked mm -hmm. Google, Hey, I need the answer to this question. And he go to this page of this book and here's the paragraph that has the answer. That's a different experience of thought and learning and self-development as compared to reading the book and then getting to that paragraph and then see, seeing the answer there. I'm not, yeah. I'm not making the claim that one is better or worse. Like, obviously, I know a lot more about a lot more things probably because of Google. Um, and I, like everyone else, probably use it a hundred times a day without thinking, but I think it's, it has affected me. Um, it's, it's, it's part of the way that my mind developed. And now that I'm, I'm 40 years old and I feel, comfortable in my mind and I feel proud to some degree of things that I can get my mind to do, like the, the attention and focus I can put on an issue, like sometimes the creativity that I can bring to an issue after deeply thinking about it for a while. And I, I think I do credit myself with maybe not always being right or the smartest person, but definitely being an original person. I, I believe that about myself. How much do I lose that if I start consulting? I will second that. I'll, I will, I'll vouch. <laughs> Thank, thank, thank you, guy. Yeah, I think right, right back at you, dude. Right, right, right back at you. I think most most Bitcoiners early are, are originally exciting, motivational people. But like, how much do we change if we start going to the AI for answers, even for input? Again, I'm not saying it's a negative mm -hmm. change. I just I just accept that it is a kind of change. Um, it's an I'm, interesting trade-off. It's it an interesting trade-off because the way the, the the way you asked it about whether or not it was better, and that you're not making a judgment, mm -hmm. is there's an interesting way to put it. Is that when you read the whole book to get to that paragraph is that you have this depth and this context about what that paragraph means. Oh yeah. But th that I would say like in the context of just like flatly, is this better than the other? That seems like a pro. That answer. 100%. Yeah. I would yeah. say that's better, but you might've wasted but, all fucking day. But if you can only get a one yeah. hundredth of the number mm -hmm. of answers mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm know how those answers relate to each other mm -hmm. then is that better is that better to give that up the better, 99 yeah. other answers in order to read the whole book yeah. and maybe we only read the whole book of those things yeah. that are and genuinely interesting or most meaningful i've had discussions like this in, in smaller other domains like for example programming there's the tools like github mm -hmm. copilot and stuff that are a little bit seem less powerful than full-blown llms and stuff but have been around for a little longer and so i've had more time to adjust to those and 
Um, I'm an old school developer for sure. Like I'm still using Emacs and I, the command line and I don't touch the mouse more, more or less. Um, I just have a certain way of that. I learned that's how I learned. And that's what I like. And I like having that level of control. I like driving the stick shift if I can get it. Um, this is who I am and how I learned a lot of systems. And when that control is taken away from me because of cool features and cool abilities, it's a trade-off I historically just haven't taken a lot. Like a great example is in, in editors, um, I'll, no, I'll notice this on my team often that almost my entire team does not use Emacs and they use more modern editors that have like fancier features. And I've noticed when I say, hey, let's crack open this file and so we can look at this code. They'll, what's the file name? It's foobar. Okay, they'll just type in foobar into their editor and they'll wait for their editor to show them which file that it thinks that they want. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, is it, yeah, it's that one. Okay, let me click that one and open it. And how do I find files? I know where all the files are. I know exactly <laughs> where the files are. Like yeah, foobar yeah, yeah. is, it's in this directory, then in that directory, then in that directory, then over there. And that's how I navigate yeah. my code base because I know where every file is. I, I really, I wrote most of the code base years ago and, and I have trouble doing that for the parts of the code base I'm less familiar with. I'll admit that. Um, but then I also just explore and learn and figure it out. And it, I think I have a better understanding of how our application is laid out on disk than most of my developers do. And again, that's not the best thing in the world. They're probably faster than me in a variety of ways. And they certainly know their areas very well, but it's an ability that I am. I I like having that ability. Every project that I start to work on every new code base, I have to feel like I understand where all the files are located, what, what each section of code is trying to do. Like this directory is all about this feature, this direction. I need to organize the code base that way in my mind in order to start feeling like I understand it. And if I'm supposed to approach a code base the way I might approach a Google Drive, you know, collection with just 2000 files that I just search for by name and just hope I get to the right one, that would be, that would make me crazy. I would feel like I can't understand the code base because I can't contextualize it effectively. Um, and I've noticed that the, the more sophisticated your tools become at doing searches for you, at surfacing information for you, again, the harder it is to, for you to establish that full context. Again, do you always need mm-hmm. the full context? Maybe you don't. Maybe it's slowing you down to have that full context. Maybe you're better off not knowing. Um, I'm not making any kind of like, it's better to be me kind of claims. I'm just saying I like being me. And I, therefore, I worry about tools that change the way I think or become, dare I say, crutches for me. That like the first thing I do to understand something is I go ask ChatGPT to explain it to me. And I know a lot of people do that now. And that's actually fucking effective from what I understand. Like, it's really good at doing it. <laughs> But part of me is like, yeah. I'm used to me explaining things to me. I'm used to myself having to sit here and like draw and like write and like do equations. Mm-hmm. Like, like, I got to convince myself of this. Hold on. I got to figure this out. You know, and like, I'm a little nervous to stop doing that because I feel like it will be easy to never do it again. I would feel like you're, if I wanted to do a shallow comparison, that your way would be far more robust. The other would be far faster. Yeah, that's probably you know? fair. Yeah. And I think um, if I were if I were 14 right now, I would be leaning hard into GPT and just that would become yeah. how I developed and I would just be a different version of me. Again, not necessarily better or worse, just different. And I th- that's all I that's think that's really all this boils down to. I'm just I'm just old enough to feel nervous to change the way that I think. It's like a weird yeah. conservative mindset that's like embedded in me at this point. Um, I'm sure that's as AI gets more ubiquitous, it. I'll use it more. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny. I don't use it for a lot of things that people use it for. Um, well, I mean, I I know a lot of people do use it for this, but largely it's funny. I will use it contextually for things like, um, uh, like trying to find things or like name Mm -hmm. things or whatever. I've, I've 
have had some really interesting results with looking for uh, lyrics for songs that I don't remember the lyrics, but I kind of remember what the alliteration was. Or I and I say it was it, it was alliterated sort of like happy cat and sad dog or something like because I remember like those beats or like that breakdown of the words. And I mm-hmm. think the context was this and I'll just lay all that out. And I've found things and I'm like, oh, my God, I would never like in a million fucking years. I never would have found that. But the the thing that I use it more, it also hallucinates sometimes in those situations. Mm-hmm. So I'll chase mm-hmm. things down that don't even exist. Um, but uh, um, the the crazy thing, though that I think for me being somebody who is comfortable with the terminal and like kind of command line navigation in a general, and just kind of like a basic Linux admin sort of sense. Um, uh, but doesn't spend a lot of time. I did have like a handful of little scripts that I had written, but I spent a really long time on them and it was a pain mm-hmm. in the dick. And I was just like, mm-hmm. it was so menial. Mm-hmm. It's just like, I'm just not going to do this. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, like I every I'm just religiously using it for this. And it's also cool because I get to see what it looks like to do one block of a thing. And I actually think I'm learning a lot about code. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. fixing scripts a lot more than I would have been able to. Um, mostly from other blocks of what it has given me, but that's kind of how you code anyway. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah, you go yeah, chasing yeah. down blocks of shit from other people on the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, so it's been really fascinating from that because I'm, I'm using the AI to, I'm basically asking it, it's like, how can I do these five steps? Just like I talked mm-hmm. about, like that I'm going to be doing hopefully tonight if I, if I'm not busy with other things. Um, but that I have a process every time I start an episode, every time I start a part podcast. And I can't believe that I just, this whole time I've been thinking about it in this context and I haven't stopped to realize that I just do these same 10 things every single day, every time I start up a thing. And sometimes I'll forget to do one of the steps and I'm like, oh shit, I don't have a notes file and I'll have to go, it will literally mess up my process mm-hmm. later on because I didn't have everything. And and I'm like, well, how much more perfectly reproducible is this if I have like a double click thing? And especially when I'm working with other people, it needs to be reproducible. It needs to have a standard. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you say that you've got like, this architecture where you know where your stuff is in your folders. Well, I have more of a, um, uh, uh, the archives from the name of the wind set up where I come up with a really great system. And then before I translate everything over to that great system, I come up with a different great system and I start translating the new thing. So I have like mm-hmm. five systems stacked on top of each other is the idea of having an AI that could automatically organize things based on something yeah. or have like a naming convention that I actually stuck to. And rather than actually using it myself, I just have it say, please just name all the things like this when I tell you what it is. Um, and it's like, that's kind of like my dream is to have the AI organize all the things so that it so that it automatically goes to where it go, like needs to go based on how I think about it, because I am usually kind of scatterbrained and all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, but in there's that sense, there's like, a big difference, though, right, between like using the AI as a time saving tool and true. using the AI yeah, yeah. as a as a thought saving yeah. tool. Like, And those are two yeah, slightly yeah, different yeah. things. Right. That's like when point. you're saving yeah. time, like you don't give a shit how the time got saved. Like all you know is you got time back. <laughs> Right. And and, yeah. and if and if the time got saved in, in ideally not the best possible way, but like the job still got done, like you're probably OK with that. I think mm-hmm. 
And similarly, if you're trying to write a script to get something done, like you don't really care how it's implemented and you don't want to learn from writing the script. You just want the output of the script. Like, Use the AI. I'm just Great. looking for a result, and I don't yeah, have to just, pay some just, big elaborate piece of software that does a hundred yeah. things I don't need it to do. Exactly, yeah. it's done. But like conversely, if you're like, well, I'm trying to learn to code, right? If you're trying mm-hmm. to learn to code, and you use the AI to implement the script, and then you even if you read the script, and you're like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that the API worked that way. Oh, I got this. Didn't really I see learn how, much. I see yeah. it's, it's helping you. I see it's helping you. But part of me is like, but where are you learning your sense of taste from? You know, like yeah. what is informing yeah. like your beliefs on no like, what made a piece no, of what made yeah. a piece of code good versus a piece of code bad? Because we all we know as programmers, like there's coding and then there's software engineering, and coding mm-hmm. is getting the job done, and software engineering is doing it robustly so that over time and as requirements change and as staffing changes, we can maintain understanding the job this thing, right? Like which and those are different yeah. problems. So those are very different problems. Yeah. And over time, I have learned over decades of trying to build stuff collaboratively with people through peer review, through reading the code of open source projects, through reading the other people's code, improving it, having them improve mine. Um learning to drop your ego when someone criticizes your code. And so you can hear what they're trying to say so you can learn from it. And then um, knowing what's important, like, like it doesn't matter to me how you capitalize your variables at all, but it matters to me how you structure and name your functions. You know, that's, that's something mm-hmm. I will, I will die on that hill. Um, so it's like, <laughs> but it's cause I, I it's cause I've developed taste I, or I'd like to believe yeah. that I've developed taste. Um, and I think part of what distinguishes, let's say, developers who embrace Bitcoin from developers who embrace Ethereum is to a degree maturity and taste that like what I think good developers see about Bitcoin is a separation of responsibilities and roles or certain finite scoping, like dependable requirements, like layers. Um, and that comes from extreme modularity. Taste. Yeah. For and, the sake and, of security and robustness. And, and, and yeah. that comes from having developed, I think, good taste in systems administration and security software and, you know, mm-hmm. like real time systems and kernel programming. It's like these are the same principles that lead to good engineering outcomes. And it's it's good taste. Right. And and I think similarly, mm-hmm. if you move outside of a coding context, chat GPT, write my essay, chat GPT, write my book. You know, yeah. your goal is to just Best your goal is to just useless. have your goal is to have the essay. It's gonna be so to, wordy, God. Right, but because again, it's it's about taste, right? Like if your goal is yeah. to become a good yeah. writer and a, and a and a craftsperson when it comes to words, you shouldn't have the things that's not helping thinking for you, right? Like, yeah. and I think you're just I think becoming that's, a a creator of astronomical right. amounts of bullshit. And I think not, my worry is that at the end of the day, Shakti yeah. is actually so good at most things that we ask it to do that, like. I, I worry I might start to use it for things to save myself time and I'd eventually start up using I'll stop and I'll now start using it for things that are saving me thought, you know, like, and yeah. I see that a lot, especially in business, like, Hey, chat, you can build a sales deck for my clients. This is amazing. My business is going to take off. And I'm like, Oh my God, like, I hope that's not what you, I hope that no one is actually succeeding based on that. Or if it was, maybe it's just an indicator that you were already so far behind that ChatGPT could build a good sales deck for you. Cause it's like really as an entrepreneur, or as a salesperson or as a product, you, you must understand how to build the sales deck, right? Isn't that, isn't that part of mm-hmm. what you would have to be, you have to be able to be good at communicating the value proposition of your product to the client. And if you rely on the thing to do it for you, um, you're losing the ability to do that yourself. Um, yeah. So again, it's, Especially it's all about that's like a, specifically a way to uh, you're mm-hmm. relating to some other person in their situation. Like that's yeah. the point. And, and yeah. maybe if you're the developer and you don't give a shit about sales, okay, go ahead and do that. In the same way as if you're the salesperson, you don't care about how the code is 
code it works than have it right. So I think, again, it's really good produce. for you. A, yeah. a solo person. I'm trying to start a business. I'm not the expert in everything. I'll just have chat to do things that I don't know how to do. Like, that's cool. I like that because you're not trying to level up. But um, I don't know. Oftentimes, I suppose I am trying to level up. I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to like become a better writer. I'm trying to get my thoughts and feelings onto the page or my code onto the page or the thing I'm trying to build onto, onto the page. And uh, to, usually that's an exercise in thinking well and clearly and i'm really nervous to have other things think for me and i want to yeah um there's like a dune line about that right <laughs> men started making machines in the image of men's minds or something do their thinking yeah. for them and all that like there was something really really truthful about that yeah no for sure and, and that makes that makes a lot of sense and I, and I love the way you framed that because it makes me think about where things are going in the context of like, is AI going to take all of our jobs and like, like what are we going to do when AI produces all this mm -hmm. stuff? And it's funny that if you apply that to any technology in history that saved us an astronomical amount of time and like it's was insanely productive, that wasn't really a concern. Like it just opened up the scope of what we could do right. to such a greater degree that we just, Produced like uh, in Knut's most recent book, Praxeology, actually, he has mm -hmm. a hilarious segment talking about like how specialization allows more and hyper specialized things as it continues to expand is that there are literally people who make a living producing reaction videos about reaction videos nah, on YouTube. That. Yeah, I've seen them. And, uh, uh, and what's funny is when you think about it is that the beauty of quote unquote humanity finding a way to codify its experiences, its intelligence and its thoughts um, or to coalesce it, to, to try to pull that information back out of it later, even when those exact perspectives are no longer existent, like when the individual is dead um, is that um, uh, it basically makes thought the, the thing of value that we produce is that like it's the mm -hmm. fact that we're hyper paralyzed like just like you said so one person wants to understand how to think about code and the other person doesn't really care they want to think about marketing they want to think about how to relate to other humans and what their problem is and to sell them software is that that means that that hyper specialization what we're talking about is the idea of a supercomputer with individual computation and individual situations being more powerful than one giant computer with one CPU that's all trying to do everything, is it obviously in a natural sense, the, the widespread parallel computation is a far more robust and agile process. That's why fungi does exactly that, mm -hmm, right? Is mm -hmm, it, has, mm -hmm. it reacts individually to all of its pieces and it even changes its chemical, its biology based on what it runs into. Um, and so in that sense, like if, if that's what we're becoming an AI uh, is kind of an extension of that is that our most, our highest value use case will literally be that thing that we decide to think about. We decide to produce real thought and extend on, and then it's our unique specialization and our unique thoughts that then are most valuable to the AI, because that's the one thing we decided to actually think about. Whereas well, we one thing the AI to kind of fill in the gap everywhere else. At least in today's LLM structure, like that novelty and originality is the one thing that we can do that it can't. And so it needs yeah. us to write those words yeah. 
And then once it we write the words down, from humanity. Yeah. Once we write the words down, like, then it can get smarter and it can do those things. And I don't mean like write a poem in the style of HMS Pinafore about Ethernet. You know, like yes, in theory <laughs> that might ne- that might never have been done before. And so in that it's sense, great it's novel. For a tweet. It's, it's great. Yeah, for a tweet. It's, it's novel, it. but like it's but actually it's not novel, right? It's just it's just it's just finding every parody yeah, of yeah. HMS Pinafore that we ever wrote as human beings. <laughs> and I guarantee there's, there's 10,000 of them on the internet and it's finding, yeah. okay, what is essentially the same about all of these? Okay. What is ethernet? And it's just, it's doing math yeah. and it's figuring out something. So it's like, if we hadn't written those HMS Pinafore parodies, like it wouldn't be able to do that. And you know, to a degree I'm simplifying, yeah. I'm sure it can write parodies of things that it can't exactly find and all this, but it's again, it, wake me up when it's making novel mathematical theorems, right? Cause then I'm, then I'm going to feel like it's reasoning and not just searching. Yeah, that's interesting to think about it, like novelty in that way is that it's kind of novel in the sense that um, I can tape a banana to a canvas mm-hmm. and say this is novel because nobody else did yeah. it. Or I turned a urinal upside mm-hmm. down and mm-hmm. it's novel because nobody else did it. But it's like, OK, well, I can go just stand like this in this one spot mm-hmm. in my yard. Nobody mm-hmm. else has done that. But what the fuck, what does that have to do? What does that mean? Mm-hmm. What the hell did I do that was actually meaningful? Of course, there's an infinite number of novel things that I can do without ever leaving my house. Um, you know, but novelty in itself is not a value. Meaning and novelty together is what creates extension, is 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 innovation, right? Is is genuine mm-hmm. innovation. Um I think I think people are right when they sort of have a gut reaction to chat GPT and like, oh, it's not doing anything new or whatever. That's like it's it's a little bit of a weak sauce because it's like um I think they under they underrepresent how much it actually is doing, but it is fundamentally something I kind of still agree with after after seeing all the stuff that people are doing with this. Like mm-hmm. it, it no one is using it to solve mathematical theorems, no one is using it to do stuff that a human being could not possibly themselves do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that to yeah, me is people developing impl- quantum computers aren't like, oh my god, I need Chat GPT right now to, to to sort out my theorems and figure out mm-hmm. where my problem is. I mean, like, they're asking they're like, about oh, existing shit, math. It can't do, I, I, it can't do like seen, simple word problems. <laughs> yeah, I've definitely seen those threads. I've seen a few of my scientist friends on Twitter like being like, oh my god, this actually worked. I asked Chat GPT about this astrophysics problem that I was having trouble with, and it did this integral for me, and it, it found this paper that was really helpful. And wow, wow I'm actually impressed. Yeah. You know, okay, it yeah. searched, it did searches for you, but it didn't it solve did a the search problem. And it figured out what math problem needed to be solved and it calculated. It searched right, and but, calculated. But it didn't and, actually do the it yeah. didn't do the new part. Like it just did the existing parts that brought them together. And that's valuable. Again, again, it makes you as mm-hmm. the scientist hugely powerful. Valuable. But you are the mm-hmm. person that asked the question and you framed it that way and you ultimately put it together and you're the one that came up with the solution. So it's like yeah. um your prompt still, pulled it out. Correct. Because those yeah. were the ideas that you were trying to yank a pattern mm-hmm. from. Yeah. Right. And so it's like, it still feels like where it's, it, it's a, it's a really new kind of search that we're kind of getting used to. Um, and it's a search that can search, not just things we wrote, but things we might have written if they were combinations of things we wrote and it can synthesize mm-hmm. those things and then show them to us. And sometimes the thing we're looking for is not a thing that exists. It's a thing that it has to create by combining things, which exist in some way in a novel way. Um, mm-hmm. or maybe, maybe that's the wrong word to use in this context in a new way. Um, and it does that, but, um, I, I guess, Linear combinations of a bunch of existing things don't really create novelty, right? That's sort of like the fundamental truth of, of linear algebra, right? Spaces have spans. But um, enlarging the space of discourse itself with new ideas, that's challenging. Yeah. So crazy, man. Well, shit. Um, 
Uh, I think Rad's going to be going to sleep soon. Uh, so we're probably pushing the, the limit of my time here. Um, it was a great, what great else? Uh, end of Friday afternoon for me. Yeah, dude, this was great. Mm-hmm. This is wonderful. Um, uh, thank you for coming on, man. This has been super, super long overdue. Thanks for creating uh, a space where people can actually focus on this, I think, pretty important discussion is the intersection yeah. between these areas. Yeah, yeah, I think this has been super fun. This has been incredibly fun. And it's felt right up the especially in the among the noise of AI, you know, mm-hmm. like the the marketing and the the space itself and the new tool for every stupid thing that you can imagine. Um is uh, the the 800 billion ways that we can use a chat GPT API mm-hmm. <laughs> um, is uh, it's been fun to, to try to find the open source corner of that space, like the self-hosting and like the, and the people. And it's hilarious is that I haven't been looking for Bitcoiners. Mm-hmm. Like I have been talking to Bitcoiners on the show who have been doing AI stuff, but I have multiple times finally found the tool or the, thing being built the way that I wanted it, that I was thinking that I was searching for. Right. And then lo and behold, behind it is a Bitcoiner. And I was just mm-hmm. like, this is great. This is, this is wonderful that I just keep bumping into this. I mean, um, it's, it's prepared us, I think Bitcoin and yeah. AI, they really need and each Bitcoiners other. are builders. Yeah. yeah. The, the, these fields need each other to succeed. Um, and I think that's, uh, that's a good way to think about it. And that's why this mm-hmm. like, venues like this are valuable for that. Yeah. Well, is there anything you want to, uh, uh, any final thoughts and or things you want to direct audience toward, want them to know or things to check out? Um, no, just keep following along with Bitcoin and, and Bitcoin writings and stuff. I feel like I am now several articles ahead of what I've ever published in written form. I'm talking about ideas <laughs> that are building on ideas that are building on ideas that I haven't yet written down. I'm in the process of writing it down. Some of these, but I'm literally years behind. I have this unfortunate entire business and regular job that I focus most of my time on. Um, usually I'm not oh talking about AI. Um, that's, mm-hmm. that's unfair. I'm often trying to wedge it into arbitrary conversations at work, but usually I'm not getting <laughs> to succeed. Um, yeah. And so this is really fun for me too, to get to dig in on a Friday afternoon and, and engage in some fun speculation. Um, but I would say for folks that are following me, I'm on Twitter um, and I blog on Unchained's blog. And hopefully over the next few months, you'll see a few more articles coming out um, that aren't directly about what we talked about today, but are kind of the foundation, the seeds for it. Um, especially stuff like the internet settling through Bitcoin and markets in Satoshi's. And those are some of the areas I'm writing about right now. I hope to get to this topic in a more official way, like hopefully next year sometime, actually try to put something pen on paper, write down the thoughts that I've communicated here as well as in prior places. Hopefully by then the, the ecosystem's a little bit more robust that we're going to see even more overlap between Bitcoin projects and AI projects. And some of the theses that we've kind of been playing with here might might feel slightly less speculative, might might feel slightly yeah. more, more concrete and real. <laughs> nice. Nice. Dude. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, Likewise, and guys. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Yeah, yeah, you and you too, man. Well, I'd love to come on again. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode as much as I did. Um, uh, I'm actually going to have to go back and listen to this one because there was just so much, just just absolutely fascinating stuff. And Drew just has that that incredible, always unique perspective. And, uh, and I, I really, really hope you guys enjoyed this one. 
Um, and uh, don't forget to check out our sponsors. Don't forget to follow Dhruv on Twitter and uh, all the other platforms. I'll try to have all the relevant links in the show notes. And, of course, our amazing sponsors, the Fold Card and the Cold Card, uh, for uh, bringing the show to you and for you know giving me a whole bunch of extra sats and a safe place to keep them. With that, I'll catch you on the next one. Take it easy, guys. Yeah.